When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. free speech to free minds you're listening to the david knight show as the clock strikes 13 it's tuesday the 8th of february year of our lord 2022 day 698 of the emergency and of course we know there is no emergency there is a plan there's a plan to continue relentlessly we're going to have zero covid we're going to have zero emissions we're going to have zero deaths why because they planned to lock everything down forever they were talking about most of those except for zero covid those were part of the climate MacGuffin. And now what they've done is they've uh, changed the sim, but their plan remains the same, and that is to take everything from us. When we look at what is happening to the truckers in Canada, as the police are going around confiscating food and fuel, the people said, they're trying to starve us out and freeze us out. Now you're starting to understand. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I want to begin today with a mask because I think nothing uh, describes this insanity better than the masks. You still have the CDC and the establishment trying to make a case for it. And, of course, you still have every day that goes by, you've got another politician who has been insistent that if you don't wear your mask, you're going to kill everybody. And now you see the latest example of this absurdity, of this hypocrisy, and that is Stacey Abrams, who is running for... Uh, governor in Georgia. Take a look at this. She actually tweeted this out. She said, extraordinary way to kick off the third annual African-American read-in at Glenwood and Black History Month. Thrilled to host uh, Stacey Abrams, author of Stacey's Extraordinary Words. <laughs> no, first one of those is masks. Second one is COVID. <laughs> Just obey. Um, yeah, Stacey's Extraordinary Words. Uh, and I'm sure she had to have that ghostwritten, <laughs> ghostwritten, ghostwritten, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so there she is. But to give you a better picture of this, do you notice something? Do you notice how she is the only person in the room that is not wearing a mask, including the adults in the back of the room? All the little kids, 
that are arranged around her for a photo op. And what is the message there? Is the message there that she's the top dog and we got to mask the servants? I mean, how many times have we heard uh, Bill Maurer focus on this? And he's been spot on. He's had some liberal guests. He says, it disgusts me to see the elites walk around at their banquets and their parties and their ward ceremonies without masks while their servants must wear masks. And, and it truly is, truly is like something out of, <clears throat> you know, The Handmaid's Tale, their fantasy. You know, of course, in their fantasy, it's the evil Christian patriarchy that is doing this to everybody. No, it's the evil feminist libs that are doing it, the anti-Christian feminists that are doing this for the most part. This is polar opposite. And even in The, uh, in, even in the Handmaid's Tale, that, that fantasy film, uh, the, the society that they imagine is not as evil as uh, Orthodox Islam. Uh, so why don't you just do a show about Orthodox Islam? Oh, that's right. It would be a documentary. That would take away some of the, the fun for that. Uh, by the way, let me just interject here because I just thought about that. Handmaid's Tale. <clears throat> and uh, this is uh, Karen's tale about being in The Handmaid's Tale. They actually, if you remember that awful, awful film, uh, and, and it actually had Robert Duvall. I think it's probably his worst film he's ever done. Uh, he was in Handmaid's Tale. They were filming that in Durham. And uh, Karen thought it'd be fun to be an extra in a movie. Uh, she quickly learned otherwise. <laughs> Them standing out in the sun all day in these scratchy burlap uh, sacks and everything while they, they did this. And she had no idea, neither did I, what that movie was about. <laughs> she wouldn't have applied for it. She just knew it was a movie with Robert Duvall. Um, so she lasted one day and said, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. Fortunately, you can't see her, uh, in the, uh, in the film. Um, so, <laughs> uh, she thought it'd be interesting to see how a film was made. Uh, but, uh, anyway, back to the news, um, <laughs> to the personal rabbit trail here. Abrams, 48 years old, joins many of her Democrat colleagues, including Governor Newsom, San Francisco Mayor London Breed, writes the New York Post, who have been seen gallivanting indoors without masks, despite supporting strict face-covering mandates. So they didn't support it. They demanded it. Right? You do what I say or else. I'm going to make your life miserable. I'm going to take things away from you. I'm going to fine you. Uh, so not only is she pictured uh, with all the students wearing masks, but all the adults in the room as well. Her tweet was later taken down, but users posted pictures of her answering questions without masks during a question answer and posing for more photos without a face covering. It's just so beautiful. You've got to see her. <laughs> It'd be a shame to, uh, you know, obscure a visage that is that extraordinary, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it's all about attention. She has to have the, she's going to be the focus, the center of attention. And all the rest of you don't matter. Uh, you know, that's, that's the key thing. It is a, it is a sick uh, domination that they want to uh, impress on us. And, of course, uh, she said, well, I had to take off the mask so that they could understand what I was saying. But she, she doesn't care what you're saying. So just keep your mask on. Okay? Uh, but, no, she was doing it quite a bit. Uh, Abrams, who is vaccinated multiple times, she says has been a vocal supporter of mask mandates throughout the pandemic in July of 2020. She slammed then-Republican Repo Governor Brian Kemp for his ban on mask mandates 
saying it showed incompetency and immorality. So what does her display there show? Does it show incompetency and immorality? Mask hypocrisy is practically a status symbol now. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It shows that she has status and you don't. Uh, These people who are stakeholders, they love to say that, right? We don't talk about citizens anymore. We talk about stakeholders. They are the ones who will meet together behind closed doors to decide what is going to be done, how they're going to divvy up the wealth of this country, and how they're going to enslave you, those of you who must wear the mask. We see we're nothing but their handmaids. And uh, I guess what's the male equivalent of that? Well, we're we're beyond any gender stuff now anyway. So I guess we're just all handmaids. We all identify as handmaids, you know, whether you're male or not. Uh, it's shameful that our opponents are using a Black History Month reading event for Georgia children as the impetus for a false political attack. Well, I think it's shameful that she's using black history after the Black Lives Matter have shut down American history everywhere. They've spent the last couple of years destroying every... Uh, aspect of American history that they can get, whether it is uh, 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 Ulysses Grant or whether it is Teddy Roosevelt, they got to purge it, right? Everything's got to go. It's a fire sale. Uh, So um, she, it turns out that she actually required the kids to do it. This wasn't just an impromptu thing where, you know, they had rules. (coughs) The, uh, Abrams' campaign, writes Breitbart, in what appears to be a failed attempt to defend the candidate, claimed that she did, in fact, wear a mask to the initial event and took off her mask on condition that the students and those surrounding her did not. Yes, exactly. They must not take off that mask. Uh, Let me play for you what uh, one mother said to a school board about the masks. Unfortunately, politics leads us to believe there is only one solution, masks. Yet thousands of schools around the country have been open during the entire pandemic without masks and no corresponding rise in serious illness. There were not child coffins lined up as some educators in this county suggested would be the case. In fact, things have been going pretty much as normal. Kids are getting sick despite wearing masks. We are forcing healthy children home for exposure despite them wearing masks. And we are segregating children by vaccination status and religious exemption status despite the wearing of masks. So I ask you, if masks work, why don't they? I'd now now like to cover the facts. Do we even address the growing incidences of suicide during the pandemic? No, we play politics with kids' faces by placing restrictive fabric over their noses and mouths that the CDC itself has said don't do anything, and it's for their safety. This is asinine. This is blatant political theater, and it needs to end. Finally, regarding that end, I need to point something out that has been bothering me. On November 15th of last year, I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. McDade for 10 minutes following the CRT town hall meeting. During that discussion, which was friendly and cordial, I asked what she, as superintendent, could do to get the kids out of masks. Dr. McDade told me that she would if she could, but that her hands were tied by then-Governor Northam's executive order mandating face coverings. And if it weren't for that, things would be different. Well, tonight, things are different. 
asked you, Dr. McDay, tonight what has changed and what do you plan on doing now that your hands are untied? I'm in fact, I'm asking all of you to step up the way other leaders who have, who have and are ending COVID restrictions by the day. What, when will you, what will it take? You are on the losing side of history Thank and it's you, time to make that right before these children now. Well, she's absolutely right. You know, when she told these uh, flunkies, these political flunkies at the school board, you know, hey, I want to get it. They use the excuse. Well, I, I can't uh, because, you know, we have the uh, the mask mandates. My hands are tied, so I've got to gag your kids. She said, well, that's not the case now. It's been taken off. And what we've seen are these uh, superintendents, these school boards demanding and fighting these governors who say end the mask mandates now. But as good as that speech was, and I love the anger, and she was spot on with what she had to say, she essentially doesn't get it. She has the power. She doesn't have to comply, and neither do her students, uh, her, her children. They don't have to comply with the school board. Why do you put your kids under the care of people like this person that she just talked about? They're dishonest. Uh, they intend to harm your child. Why would you have your kids go to that school? Well, some of the students understand what the situation is. You don't ask for permission. You don't go begging to a school board. You don't comply. And that's what students are starting to understand. This is uh, from a couple of days ago. I've had this on my deck since uh, last week. Uh, but listen to uh, this student leader. And these are students taking the matters into their own hands because their parents continue to send them to school. Everybody shut up! Pay attention. This is not an excuse for any of you freshmen and sophomores to disrespect your teachers. If I hear of anybody disrespecting teachers or staff tomorrow, that makes us look bad. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. We do not care about the teachers in the end are just doing their jobs. It doesn't come from them. It comes from the state. Now, what we're hoping is that they kick us out. This sounds bad, but we're hoping that they kick us out because they have to report that attendance to the state. And if the state sees a day where 100 or I don't even know how many kids are here are absent, they're going to start asking questions. Our hope is, is we can get this statewide. Now, I might get in trouble for this, but the plan still stands for Wednesday. For tomorrow, I mean. Everybody is going to meet at the back row of the senior parking lot, and we're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously, all of you are, too. Shut up. Shut up. Obviously, all you are are done with the mask, too. Now, again... We're doing this peacefully and respectfully. If a, st if a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. And if people need, ri need rides home, then some of the seniors, I'm sure we can start giving people rides home. That's about it. <laughs> That's right. And that was a week ago. And then they did do their protest and they did get sent home. But you know what? This is how you forge leaders under pressure. I mean, if you want your kid to um, you know, go through uh, some hard stuff, some of them are going to rise to the top. Most of them won't, though. And uh, quite frankly, I think they can learn this lesson. 
I just want to break in me. real fast. Yeah, go ahead. I've got a lot of respect for that guy. That's He's right. He's got so much integrity at such a young age. That's, That's really right. impressive. But one uh, contention with him is that it does come from the teachers. It's not just yes. coming from the state. Everyone in the state was educated at one point. And mm-hmm. it's only gotten worse. There That's is right. no one that believes more than whoever has dyed hair and is teaching your children in kindergarten. <laughs> They're probably the only people that still believe this is real. That's true. That's true. It is a, a corrupt system. And it has gone through, as you point out, Travis, it, it's gone through an iterative process. <clears throat> the people that came out a couple of decades ago, uh, they went in and they, they were changed. Then they changed the next generation more and more and more. And so it, it continues to recycle and intensify to where we get to the point of absurdity that it is today. Uh, yeah, he, he said uh, they're just doing their job. And we must that's that's one thing that he still needs to learn. He is a you know, he is a leader and he's got integrity. And he was telling them, stay focused on what we want to accomplish and let's not get violent or disrespectful about this. But let's also understand that uh, I'm just following orders. Right. That doesn't wash. And the people who do that, the people who did that made that excuse at Nuremberg, the minions at the bottom, they got whacked. Uh, The people at the top got brought over to work in Operation Warp Speed to start the gain-of-function stuff for Fauci. But uh, what we see happening in Toronto right now, right, Travis? You know, you've got uh, the police officers who are saying, I'm just following orders, right? We saw that with the uh, RCMP as well as the police chief for Ottawa talking to those uh, truckers in the restaurant and said, I'm just following orders. And they said, you don't have to follow orders, If it's wrong, you shouldn't follow orders. Just because somebody gives you an order, that doesn't mean that you follow it. And and the whole point of these institutions, these schools, is to drive home this argument from authority and ingrain that in you at a very, very early age so that you defer to authority even more. It would be interesting, I think, Travis, if we went back. I, I wish somebody had done the Milgram experiment before everybody in Western society had uh, gone through 12 years of, uh, of uh, uh, living under some authority figure telling them what they can and cannot do. I wish they had done the ash experiment before you had people who had known nothing other than growing up in a, a uh, strictly age-segregated group of peers so they feel that peer pressure so intensely that they will do whatever the group says, or they feel the pressure of the teacher so much that they'll do whatever the authority figure says. See, those are the two lessons, I think, I'm that are fundamental. I'm curious how an Amish would react to the Milgram test. Do you think Brother Jedediah is going to continue to shock someone if he thinks they're in <laughs> actual danger? I really don't. Because why? What is their standard, right? They've got an objective standard. I disagree with the Amish on some doctrinal issues and anything, but hey, I, I think they've got a lot of stuff figured out. They, they are, as, as, they, as well as they can, they are following the biblical standard. And they have a standard that is consistent also with ethical standards because, you know, that is, uh, uh, the Bible is consistent with ethical standards. They're not going to violate uh, what the Bible says, and they're not going to violate their very well-honed sense of integrity, of justice, of ethics that they have from studying God's Word. Uh, they're not going to do something like that. You, you and I both know that, right? 
<laughs> that was a rhetorical question. Uh, yeah, they are not going to uh, do anything of the sort. I wonder, are they all homeschooled? I have no idea if they're homeschooled or not. Uh, but anyway, this is another, uh, that was a week ago. And uh, this is uh, something that just happened in Oakdale, California. These are students throughout the district refusing to wear masks. High schoolers have been sent to the gym after this. So you had several hundred high school students uh, who showed up. Look at that. Yeah, large crowd. And what they did to these kids, they said, uh, first of all, the kids said, we are following the governor's example, and we're here to legally support our rights. And uh, then what they did was they took these hundreds of kids at Oakdale High School, California. Uh, they put them in the gym. <clears throat> they barricaded the door with tables, and there's pictures of that. Uh, put them in chairs all spaced apart and isolated them for the day there, and then turned off the heat as punishment. Uh, police were called for a wellness check, and police turned on the heat. Uh, a follow-up tweet from the student said, Staff attempted to barricade the maskless high schoolers in the gym, putting tables in front of the exits. A staff member also was caught turning down the thermostat to freeze them out. The uh, superintendent of schools, <clears throat> Dave Klein, told the Modesto B that 375 students in the district did not wear masks, and 344 refused the next day. And again, that was uh, that was last Wednesday, and then uh, 344 refused on Thursday. Uh, he said, um, uh, "Well, this is actually the uh, high school freshman said uh, if they don't follow their own rules that they're trying to force upon me, why should I follow them?" Well, exactly. Uh, but the problem is they don't get to make the rules, do they? I mean, they're not rulers, they're not dictators. A dictator. The law is in his mouth. He dictates whatever the law is. We have a process. And these people take an oath to defend the Constitution and to obey the laws. That is the condition of them having this office. And if they violate those conditions, they are illegitimate authorities. They are posers. They are people who are uh, a threat to us. They're dictators. And so we don't want to accept, even if they obeyed the rules. And this is the thing that I talk about with Boris Johnson. People are so upset with him because of his hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is annoying, isn't it? And we see politicians doing that all the time. But what you've got to get angry about, hypocrisy is not a new thing with politicians. What you need to be angry about is that Boris Johnson stopped the birthday parties for everybody. That's what they should be angry about. That's what he should be kicked out for. That's what he should go to jail for. And you should be angry with Gavin Newsom, not because he doesn't follow his dictates, but because he doesn't follow the law or the Constitution. And yet, they got a recall election for him, and the people said, no, we do want to have a dictator. Even in New York, the New York governor, Kathy Hochul, a tyrant indeed, is showing signs of weakness as people there are pushing back. This is not students. These are hundreds of New York City first responders, other concerned citizens marching across Brooklyn Bridge on Monday in a demonstration against vaccine mandates, against vaccine passports, against mask mandates and other things. A city employee protesters 
marched from Metro Tech and downtown Brooklyn over the Brooklyn Bridge and all the way to City Hall. An estimated 4,000 New York City employees have until Friday to submit their vaccination cards or lose their jobs. And so the governor of New York, who put out a statewide mandate requiring proof of vaccination or a mask, is saying, well, we may need to talk about that. She has already, understand, she has already backed down from the transit workers, the people riding the subways. They said, we're not going to do it. About 20 plus percent of them, even by their numbers. So it was probably a lot larger number. I think that they're reducing these numbers to make it look like uh, there's it's a small extremist fringe, as Trudeau would say. But you had at least 20%, because that's what they admitted to. Said, we're not going to, we're not going to, we'll walk. We're not going to get the vaccine. And so they backed down and they carved out an exception for them. And now you've got city employees and first responders saying, uh, uh, we want something done about this. Now, she has already backed down for the transit authority. And she is indicating that she may consider this mask mandate. I guess she's just waiting to see what people will put up with. Do you remember how long I've been saying that? I said the difference is not between political parties. It's not between Republican governors and Democrat governors. It's not between, um, you know, a difference between uh, America and Australia or Austria or whatever. It's what the people will put up with. And there are people who won't put up with this in every country, but it's what the vast majority of people will put up with. If you get, if the resistance rises to a critical level, these people always back down. That's what we're seeing in Canada right now. And so uh, we've seen that in New York City, and we've seen it in New York State. And now they've got a new mayor, Eric Adams, who got sworn in at the beginning of the year. And he said the city workers are quitting on the Big Apple. Listen to that. He says they're not being terminated. They are quitting. Because if the rules of you being employed means vaccinated and you're not, that is a decision that you're making, not a decision we're making as a city. So I say don't quit New York. Take your vaccine and your booster shot. What a liar he is. Nothing makes me angrier than to hear these people who are using coercion and threats and fear and everything else that they can throw at you to try to force you to take an untested genetic code injection from big pharmaceutical companies uh, for which they have no liability. It's like, what, what is going on here? You know, I, I, why would you do something like this? And why would you lie about that? A threat like that, as Shaquille O'Neal said, you know, woman said, well, they're, they're not uh, being, these are not mandated. He goes, they're being forced. They're going to lose their job. They're being forced. They're being forced. It, you are being forced, and we all know that. And it is so cynical. And he says this type of thing because, hey, I don't have to pay you any unemployment. I'm not firing you. You're quitting because you won't take an experimental drug. You see, these people have changed the terms of service, haven't they? Or maybe we should call it for employment with these tyrants the terms of servitude. And what they say, as they capriciously and arbitrarily change it, I'm going to make up something that's going to modify your DNA. We're not going to test it. And I'm going to tell you, you either take it or you're quitting. And I'm not going to pay you anything. Take my Trump juice. Take this injection. Well, the uh, governor of New Jersey, Democrat Phil Murphy, has said, we're not going to manage COVID all the way to zero. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about COVID zero 
we'll talk about um, all of their zeros, their vision zero and their zero uh, emissions and all the rest of this stuff when we come back. Stay with us. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com Well, let's talk about these uh, Zero guys. I guess we could call them Commander Zero. <laughs> Was there a I don't know. Anyway, uh, these are the people who talk about zero COVID. They talk about net zero. They talk about vision zero. And of course, they're talking about, you know, not a single inflated test case. Uh, That is COVID zero. Net zero means absolutely no emissions from anything anywhere. I mean, we're not going to have any internal combustion engines. You're not going to fry a burger the backyard. As a matter of fact, we're going to kill all the animals that we raise for meat so that we don't have them breathing. Uh, so that's net zero. Vision zero means zero traffic deaths. And the way you do that is get rid of all the cars. It's the same way that you saw Bill Gates. Uh, he said, well, we got all these different factors here that are affecting the environment. You know, the number of people and these other things out there and the things that they do. Well, you know, how do you how do you get this to zero? Because that's, you know, net zero. Well, you got to get one of those factors to zero. Maybe we do a better job of vaccinating people, controlling the population, reducing the population to zero. That's how they get all of this. They either take your life away or they zero out everything that you do in your life. That's their plan, to zero out your life, to zero out your activities. As Davos put it, uh, you will own zero, nothing, and uh, you'll be happier. No, they will be happier. You will not be happier. They will be happy to do that to you. They're more than happy to do that to you. That is their plan. That has always been the plan. The MacGuffin changes, but that's always their plan. It can be global cooling, a new ice age coming. That's how they started in 1970. Then within a decade, they immediately flipped. 180 degrees around says, no, it's not going to turn in. We're not, the planet's not going to freeze. The polar ice caps are going to melt and we're all going to drown. 
And then after they ran that scam for decades, they just said, well, climate change. And then they went to the pandemic. And now they're going back to climate change plus the pandemic. We got a double MacGuffin, double super secret MacGuffin. (laughs) So um, uh, as uh, the New Jersey governor says, well, we're not going to manage COVID to zero. Well, tell that to Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, because that's her policy. She was going to... um, get married and uh they, they found a couple of cases somewhere and that's it lock down the entire country call off the wedding to the great relief of her fiance <laughs> maybe uh he rigged some of the tests i don't know but it's also the relentless pursuit as rt points out the relentless pursuit of net zero this is the emissions side of this as we pivot back to the climate MacGuffin. Uh, So net zero. On Thursday, the Bank of England warned that Brits faced the biggest decline in living standards in three decades over the next year. The reason is that just about everything is getting more expensive, Uh, but um, incomes will not rise anywhere near enough to match the surge of inflation. And so the bank's governor, Andrew Bailey, by the way, he's no relation to George Bailey. Uh, He's more of a relation to Mr. Potter, I think. Uh, (laughs) was adopted as a child by Mr. Potter and (laughs) raised in his image. Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, pleaded with workers not to demand big pay raises, in effect, to accept lower living standards. I wonder if he will lead the way. You know, these people who are telling us that we have to give up everything for austerity as they fly around the world in their jets, their private jets, as they drive around in their hypercars, as they build their mansions in low-lying coastal areas that their own maps say are going to be underwater if their projections were true. He said, central to the rising cost of living is a startling increase in the cost of energy. Now, this is not something that has just happened. This isn't bad luck. Oh, we just can't find any oil anywhere or coal anywhere or gas anywhere. We No, they're not they're demanding that you not look. And even when you know where it is, they're telling you you can't take it out. And even if it's been taken out, you can't burn it. You see, this is not anything other than a politically manufactured crisis, just like the supply chain, just like what is happening at the border with Trudeau and Biden and Biden at the border. Uh, So this is political, political austerity, it is net zero is about taking your life to zero. Uh, and as we've pointed out over the years, you know, well before I got to uh, InfoWars, I was working with a group called the American Tradition Institute, which has changed its name. Um, some of the management still had the same. And we we're working on climate issues. And we make the point to people that it's not you can obviously see like we're seeing right now. If you artificially dry up supplies of energy and you deconstruct power plants, you don't even try to make them cleaner. You just say, no, you're not going to be allowed to build that. Nope, can't have any, can't have any fuel. The same thing they're doing to the people on the streets of Ottawa right now. That's why I said, you're taking away our food, taking away our fuel, that has always been the plan. It's good that people can see these minions in uniforms with guns, doing it to people on the road, because it's hard for them to understand the plan to do this over decades. And that has been the plan. Uh, So 
we would go around, we would talk to people, and we would say, you know, cheap energy is not just about the standard of living, as we're seeing that being eroded now, primarily because energy is expensive. And we've, if you're of a certain age, you lived through this with the oil embargo of OPEC. You saw massive inflation, massive decline in the standard of living. Why? Because of the cost of energy. And energy underlies everything. It underlies the cost of food production, for example. But especially now, it'll be even worse because we now have, you know, that was in the 1970s, the late 1970s that that happened. But right now, our supply chains are far longer, far more distributed, far more complex than they were in the 1970s. And what is the connecting link in the supply chain? Transportation. What do you need for transportation? You need to have fuel. And so this is something that is going to be the ultimate attack on the supply chain. Uh, But it's not just about the standard of living. That's obvious. Less obvious is the fact, and you can go through and you can show this case, and we used to show the case, that cheap energy increases life expectancy. Cheap energy increases life expectancy. Therefore, if they want to get rid of people and they want to do it in other ways other than just injecting you with a genetic code injection, well, they can do things like cut down your energy make life very difficult for you, and, um, and it will cut your life expectancy, not just your standard of living. But the elephant in the room, they say in this uh, RT article, is China. China's demand for natural gas has rocketed. China wants to shift from coal to natural gas to burnish its environmental credentials and to reduce pollution. And that means there's an enormous new source of demand for gas. Say, but we are we're shutting that down as well. We're shutting down our gas power plants. We don't want them. No, no, no. We want to have sunshine and fresh air. Oh, that's good. That's my source of energy, sunshine and fresh air, except that they haven't ironed out the technical issues for it. And uh, it's not about the emissions. It's about them having economic and political control over us. That's why they don't want to iron out the technological issues of this stuff. And so, um, you know, we have unbelievable amount of coal. Uh, I talked many times about how during the gas crunch crisis, as OPEC was raising its demands for control over our economy, you had Time and Newsweek, and I've shown you the pictures of that many times if you watch that. I kept those magazines from 1979. And one of them was saying in 1979, we're going to be out of oil in just a couple of years. There'll be no more oil. And before the end of the decade, we'll be out of natural gas. But we have 666 years, isn't that an interesting figure, of coal. So they come after coal to make that the dirty guy and to take that out. And there is absolutely no reason that we have to shut. You can make a clean power plant. You can add, you can make it more expensive uh, if you want to by trying to scrub everything. But it's just a technological issue. Uh, and uh, it's an economic issue, but they don't care to do that. They just want to go through blanket condemnation of entire categories of energy production so that they can shift you to the ones that they've already invested in. The government is subsidizing these investments, and the people who are stakeholders have already put their stake 
into this new industry, and now they're forcing everybody to go over to that to make them even richer. The UK is comparatively fortunate in still having substantial supplies of natural gas from the North Sea that provides about 50% of their domestic demand. Another big chunk of supply also comes from the North Sea via Norway. But politicians have become obsessed with cutting greenhouse gas emissions. So new sources of gas have been shunned in favor of more and more wind turbines, you see? It's forced austerity. It's like coal in the United States, or it's like gas in the United States. You can't use it. We're not going to let you. I know we could be energy independent, but no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to move you to wind turbines. Well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, President Xi was mocked as Winnie the Pooh. You know, they had a picture of him uh, short and round compared to Obama, who was lanky and thin and tall. And so to make fun of Xi, they had a, a twin picture of <laughs> Uh, she walking with Obama, and then right next to it, uh, Tigger and Winnie the Pooh in the same positions. And it made she so mad that he banned all pictures of Winnie the Pooh because people started just putting Winnie the Pooh stuff up instead of she. So I guess Winnie the Pooh, that is she, is not interested in wind turbines. Uh, Winnie the Pooh is not interested in the blustery day. Uh, he doesn't believe that's going to solve their energy problems. And so he is going for gas. So they don't have uh, that much. Um, they're dependent on other sources, at least right now, probably because they haven't done the exploration. But they're buying a great deal of coal from North Korea. And so now they're going to buy gas from uh, Europe and other sources in competition. And that's driving everything up. As they point out, homes are mostly heated with natural gas in the UK. Vehicles are overwhelmingly powered with petroleum. There's zero chance of low carbon power replacing all the energy demand anytime soon. They don't care. See, they don't care. The plan is not for you to have an electric car. The plan is for you to have a zero car. Not zero emissions, zero cars. Because they want you to have zero movement and zero food and they want they hate you so much that they want to put a mask over your face so they don't have to look at you they want to put a mask over your face so you don't breathe out viruses or co2 or anything it's just amazing how much these people hate humanity who do they work for yeah you know uh, they work for the devil Frankly, uh, all these people, you can talk about Soros and the rest of these people. You want to know why these, these uh, conspiracies go multi-generational? You want to know why it lasts longer uh, than one generation? It's not the, the families, the banker families. There's something far more powerful above and behind them. In the meantime, the development of the UK's potentially enormous shale gas reserves has been put on ice. It's been banned in Scotland and Wales. And there's been a moratorium in England since 2019. So they have plenty of gas, but the politicians say, can't use it. Can't use it. Can't use it. Britain's energy crisis has been two decades in the making. Ours has been five decades because you've got to include the propaganda uh, initial liftoff stage. Rejecting coal. Uh, rejecting every form of energy. Nuclear. Now they're starting to move to nuclear, but it's not going to come online uh, and, you know, when I have, I, I was saying the other day, I was laughing about it. I said, um, look, 
we can look at all these different technologies. My problem with nuclear power is that it's back end loaded. What do you do with the waste? See, that's the thing that people haven't looked at. It's not even so much the Chernobyl aspect of it, but it's what do you do with the waste? It was the nuclear waste at uh, Fukushima that created the problem. You got to store that stuff for a long, long time, <laughs> like thousands of years. So you're putting a huge burden on future generations. And uh, frankly, I prefer pollution that I can see. <laughs> so I can avoid it. I mean, you know, if it's uh, if it's smog, there I would wear an N95 mask if it was all smoggy. But an N95 mask is not going to protect you against a virus, and it's not going to protect you against radiation poisoning. Uh, so I prefer pollution that I can see. Frankly, that's just my take on all this. So I'm not a big uh, proponent of nuclear power, but they don't want any power. See, that's the whole point. They they want to steer you to the least reliable sources, and then put everything on that grid. Everything's got to be electric. Everything's got to be off the grid. Uh, not off the grid. They want you on the grid. Everything has to be supplied by the grid. And so uh, they've shut all that down. They've spent too little time worrying about cost, too little time worrying about security of supply. No, they don't want either of those. All this is epitomized by the irrational drive to net zero by 2050. They're going to move that up. Uh, it's the same way they started saying we're going to have a, a you know a zero emissions of the cars. It's going to be 2050. It's going to be 2040. Now we're going to make it 2030. That's when we're going to make sure there's no internal combustion engines there. The result will be hardship for millions, and it is rolling out right now. Absolutely. Finally, when we look at that study of face masks, Reason Magazine says uh, that study of face masks is just put out by the CDC. Uh, that does not show what the CDC claims. And I've talked many times, look, you don't have to go through the details. If you want to go through the details of this, I'm not going to unpack it for you. Reason has it. They picked this study apart. They say if you read the tiny footnotes, you'll see the results for cloth masks do not, are not statistically significant. This is published in the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Well, that's a cheerful one, isn't it? Um, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, it, uh, if you work for these guys, have you done the morbidity and mortality report this week? <laughs> I'm dying to do that and dying to read it as well. Uh, they said that uh, the mortality and morbidity report did not validate the protective effect of the most commonly used face coverings. And once you delve into the details of the study, it becomes clear that the results for surgical masks and N95s uh, do not actually demonstrate a cause and effect relationship. Contrary to the way the CDC is framing them. Look, it's just common sense and physics. You're not going to stop a mosquito with a chain link fence. That's what we're talking about here. And then the big gaps that are there, whether or not you wear a beard, the folds that are there. Uh, it's just physics. Uh, and, and you don't need to do a comparative study. But even as they did a comparative study to claim, this is the ridiculous aspect of, oh, well, you know, if you uh, wear a cloth mask, it's going to take your wrist down by 56%. That's absolute nonsense, and we all know it. And I talked years ago about, um, well, a couple of years ago, the 2002 report from New South Wales, and that was as SARS was scaring everybody in Asia, and you first saw people running around with masks. And they said in New South Wales, where Gladys Berejiklian was uh, stomping on everybody's face uh, this last year, in New South Wales, they said, uh, we know these things don't work. 
We've got our studies. We know even the N95 masks don't work because after you've worn them for 20 minutes, they get saturated with droplets and then it pushes out those droplets. And they're smaller and they travel farther and they stay airborne longer. So we know that doesn't work. And common sense tells you that. So if you sell these masks as protection against SARS, in 2002, the New South Wales government in Australia would fine you $100,000 for fraud. Uh, so we know they don't work. And so they've come up with a new idea, right? How many absurd things can we get the crowd to do? And, and that's what this really is. This is really a test. Now they're telling you, put a pantyhose over your face, a mask and pantyhose, not two masks, not three masks, but a mask and a pantyhose over your face. Well, you know, maybe if that's required, I could go this route. <laughs> <laughs> Some fishnet stockings. Would that be okay? Um, you know, stockings over your face. Uh, let's go that route. Look, it's absolute absurdity. They're just trolling you. They're just probing to see how obedient and how stupid you are. How incapable of any critical thought you are. And, and that's all this mass stuff is. It's an obedience and compliance test. Everybody knows they don't work. So they come up with something silly, like putting uh, stockings over your head. Or, even more silly, they'll have Joe Biden and Jill Biden parade around outside wearing a mask while they're by themselves. And then when they go indoors with a crowd, they take it off. Even the Daily Mail is laughing about that one. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to thedavidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidknightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. Oh, that's the sound of freedom. That's the sound of freedom in Ottawa. That's the truckers hanging on their horns. Uh, we're here, we're in your street, and we're not leaving until you remove these regulations, these mandates, uh, this idiocy that you're doing. And, of course, that has really been very effective. It's gotten on the nerves of um, the people there in Ottawa so much that uh, the, the mayor and other people are losing it. And now the court has issued a 10-day ban on honking in downtown Ottawa. Tooting a horn is not an expression of any great thought that I'm aware of, said the judge of the Ottawa Superior Court, Judge McLean. 
Well, I don't know. Um, tooting a horn, I think that's a uh, that's a, quite an expression in, in many places. In many places, you toot a horn at somebody, <laughs> and they want to kill you. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the other expression where you raise a single finger at them. You know, <laughs> those two things can get you killed in some neighborhoods, right? It's an expression. We all understand that. It's an expression like burning a flag or an expression like flying your flag upside down as a sign of distress. These are all political speech. And, of course, they don't want political speech. They don't want you to have any speech at all, but especially political speech. And so you have this judge saying, well, that's not an expression. If it wasn't an expression, they wouldn't be trying to shut it down. I love what Babylon D B did with this. They said, uh, Trudeau orders all geese rounded up and shot for honking in solidarity with truckers. <laughs> because as you saw, if you're watching that clip, you see, and I don't know if they were geese, so they're pretty far off. So um, the fact that they were very visible, they could have been geese uh, flying. I don't know. Um, maybe they go south this time of year, right? <laughs> so maybe they weren't geese. I don't know if they're still there. Anyway, Mounties began chasing geese on Saturday, writes the Babylon Bee. Following them around with burlap sacks and covered oversized nets, captured geese are being blindfolded, lined up, and shot, sometimes in mid-honk. We now view the Canada goose as an enemy of the state, said Trudeau. We must end this fascist honking once and for all. Uh, <laughs> he said uh, he's visibly shaken by the honking geese as well from his uh, not dis undisclosed hideout. <laughs> I may never be able to meet with the truckers face-to-face, -face, and it's all because of these hateful geese, not because I'm afraid. And so we have the Ottawa police now uh, acting out for everybody. This is a little, um, we could call it like a charade or something, right? You know, where you at a party and you're doing pantomime, you try to act out a phrase, or uh, in this particular case, what the police are doing is acting out the agenda of the Great Reset by taking away food and fuel from the people who are there in the streets. Because that's where they want you to be. That's what Google called its smart cities experiment. Sidewalk labs. You'll be living on the sidewalk. You'll be walking on the sidewalk because you're not going to have a car or a house. And then uh, while you're on the sidewalk, we'll be able to take away your food or fuel as we wish to starve or freeze you out. That's what this is about. And so in a sense, the Ottawa police are modeling this for everybody. It is a charade, right? And so they're acting out the charade. Uh, supplying the protesters in the downtown area with gas, food, and other material supports. Well, then we've issued, they said, more than 100 tickets, and we've arrested seven people. Out of how many? How many? And uh, I don't think they're supplying them with gas. I think they're supplying them with diesel. But maybe they're supplying them with both of them. One protester yelled out to the police, you're starving families out. These kids, there's families here, little infants. Are you going to let them freeze? Well, yes, that's the plan. Do you understand? That is the plan. There are tons more protesters, writes Information Liberation. Then there are police, and they've been nothing but peaceful in their bid to get the government to end its criminally idiotic vaccine mandates. Trudeau and his cronies are choosing, however, to escalate tension. They've chosen to do this for two years. As a matter of fact, the whole point of the trucker mandate was to starve us and freeze us out, right? Uh, they don't want us to have food or fuel, and the trucker mandate 
both from Trudeau and from Biden, was designed to further destroy our supply chains from the very beginning. That's why they're mandated these jabs for people. And again, it's strange to me that the Republicans are are not talking about the Biden side of this. I I mentioned uh, one of the reasons possibly yesterday, but I'll I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Take a look at these pictures. Travis, pull up these pictures uh, from Breitbart. They've got a lot of pictures from different cities. The Canada Freedom Convoy Goes National. Photos from cities across Canada this weekend demonstrate the true size and diversity of the movement, which is clearly more than just a handful of truckers who are honking their horns in Ottawa. Uh, So you've had uh, uh, Vancouver, keep going down, um, show some of these crowds. They're massive crowds. Uh, Take a look at Toronto. That's Toronto there. Uh, on Saturday. Look at the size of that crowd in Toronto. Absolutely amazing. And good news. All right. That is good. People finally had it. How long did it take? Well, almost 700 days <laughs> for people. Yeah, we are we are patient. Uh, but um, there is a critical mass. There we go. There's some guys on horseback. That's good. That's in Alberta, I think. Yeah, that's in Alberta where they do a lot of rodeos. Uh, so uh, they've got... Uh, A lot of people showing up on horseback. Uh, You know, it is, um, here's the thing. The vast majority of people are are like a giant ship, right? It takes a lot to turn that around. You got a lot of inertia. That's one of the reasons why the Titanic, even though they saw the iceberg there, they couldn't turn out of the way. You know, it's like they saw it coming. But they they needed too long to uh, change course. And so it takes a long time to change course because you've got a lot of mass with the mass of people. And it takes a while for that to change course. But once it does, you better not get in the way, politicians. And that's what we're seeing right now. You're starting to see a massive wave of humanity. And so the question is, what is Canada going to do? Because right now, as we focus in the past on Australia, and then the Austrian tyrants tried to steal the limelight. Uh, but as we've seen in Australia before, now we see this is taking effect in Canada. And the whole world is watching. And if these people overplay their hand, you know, if they do what they really instinctively want to do, which is just walk out and smash you in the face. If they do that to these people who are peacefully occupying the streets uh, It is only going to escalate the fury that is slowly building as uh, people have looked at. You know, I'm I'm reminded, uh, Psalm 37, if you look at that, uh, it's a a psalm about the wicked succeeding. And it is advice that you don't want to fret about this. The word fret is used three times there. So one day I looked that up. I thought, well, exactly what is that word that's, that's coming, uh, where that's coming from? And, it, and by the way, there's a great tool on the internet if you ever want to do word studies like that uh, to dig deeper. It's called the Blue Letter Bible. I'd highly recommend that too. Uh, you can go down. It's just, you know, uh, interlinear uh, dictionary with um, Hebrew and with Greek, and you can see what the different words were, and you can click on it, and it'll show you all the different places where it was used and how it was translated. It'll give you definitions of it. Anyway, I looked at fret, and it's a great image. You know, we talk about fretting about a problem. And, and what, it, 
was, was it's similar to building a fire, kindling a fire. And that's really what happens when we fret. We, we get, you know, we put a little bit of this on the fire and we build it up and we worry about it. We put a little bit more on there and we worry about that. And that has been what is happening with these people for the last 700 days. They've been fretting. And you got one big fire that's rolling <laughs> right now. These people are ready. I'm surprised that they are as jovial as they as they are. But I think they understand that uh, they're on the winning side. That with a mass of people that have shown up in Ottawa, that they're on the winning side, and that is giving them hope. And um, uh, they're feeling better about this, and uh, they know that justice is on their side as well. So the three-day Quebec City Freedom Convoy event was considerably more limited in scope than the huge ongoing demonstrations in other parts of Canada. On Sunday, Mayor Plant pointed out that the businesses and event planners in Montreal and all across Quebec need to know when these venues are going to reopen. Okay? They're getting really concerned about this. You've had the Saskatchewan premier say, let's take these mandates off, please, Trudeau. You've had the guy in Alberta who's been locking up pastors and barricading churches. Now, reaches across the border to uh, American governors in Montana and other places like that, saying, uh, we've got to talk to uh, Biden and Trudeau and make sure we get these things off. Now, this guy who has, um, you know, and and Jason McKinney or Jason Kenney is a uh, con servitude. (laughs) <laughs> it's a con man who wants you in servitude. That's what the conservatives in Canada and America have become, con servitudes. Uh, but anyway, um, so now you've got this mayor in Quebec, Montreal and Quebec, um, and uh, saying, you know, we we need to know, somebody please tell me uh, what I can tell these people because <laughs> they're coming after me with bonfires, pitchforks, and guillotines. Uh, can we give them an answer about when we can reopen? When are flights going to resume? When can guests look forward to booking rooms? He said, we're asking the provincial government and public health authorities to share a plan like other provinces has done. So we can tell the uh, visitors and the tourists, here's the plan of how you can come to Montreal this spring and this summer. Well, that's not really what we want, is it? I mean, we don't really want to have politicians who are going to beg health authorities, who are going to beg uh, the provincial government, or they're going to beg the government of Trudeau for these things. We need to have some people with some backbone, some spine, who are going to stand up for the right thing. He needs to go. Uh, Vancouver woman's message. These are a lot of different signs. I haven't hugged my mom in two years. Other ones, of course, mainstream media is the virus. I like that one. CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, uh, Global CTV Lies, and CTV is uh, one of their uh, broadcast um, uh, places. Uh, uh, one lady who has uh, <laughs> uh, one lady who has uh, immigrated from China had a sign and said, "My family didn't leave China for Shinada." <laughs> she spells it like China, but adds a da after the end of it, uh, because that's what Canada is becoming, you know, um, interesting. You know, I, I got banned from, <laughs> from Google a year ago because uh, one of the three strikes was a video that said uh, 2020 was the year the world 
became China. Now, here's a lady from China saying, you know, Canada's becoming China because that's what she sees. Uh, CTV, that uh, is a, supposed to be Canadian television. Uh, they had signs up saying it stands for corrupt, treasonous vermin. Well, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. Truckers versus the government. Uh, John Rappaport, he says, we need to get out ahead of all of this. And what he lays out in his essay is the idea that uh, he says it's now a crime for anybody on the scene to give food or fuel or any kind of aid to the truckers. The truckers and people all over Canada want freedom and peace. The government wants peace without freedom. Right? We want peace and freedom. They want peace without freedom. The government wants vaccine mandates. The government wants passports. The government wants the ability to declare lockdowns and other fascist measures at any time it suits them. And again, I've talked about this. I said uh, at the very beginning of this, I said, you watch out. These people, they're going to turn this thing on and off like a switch. I had one of the uh, uh, people at uh, InfoWars on air, uh, not on air, didn't say that, but said, uh, where do you see that? Where's your source for that? Uh, you can't see that? I said to him, I said, you really don't understand what this is? You don't understand how these people work? How long have you been watching them? Yeah, it's not 4D chess, okay? It's not. It's a switch. They can turn it on and off. We have to take that switch out of their hand. If they give us back our freedom, it's a phony version of it. Freedom is never given it is only taken, and you got to stop taking what these people are handing you. So he says, nobody with a conscience should back away. This John Rappaport. Nobody with a conscience should back away if governments and their media frontmen throw around words like insurrection, incitement, terrorism. These are words to control you. And that's the other thing I've seen in the aftermath of the Stop the Steal, January the 6th stuff. And it's been absolutely disgusting to watch people who are involved in it, instead of defiantly coming back at these people, throwing these control words at them, instead what they do is they grab the people around them and throw them under the bus to try to save their sorry behinds. Talking to you, Alex. If some truckers turn out to be bad actors, so what? He said, get out ahead of all this. Understand, there might be some agent provocateurs in this. You might have some people who do some bad things. Just brush it off. That doesn't discredit the entire thing. You know, we're not going to be controlled like this. Violence, he said, is always the government's ace in the hole. They play it. And then they say that the rebels caused it or made it necessary. See, even if you don't have somebody that takes the bait and acts out in violence, even if you don't have agent provocateurs, they will say, well, we're justified in doing this. This is one of the reasons why. Uh, we know the government works this way. That's one of the reasons why when they had that Nonsense being put out by Ned <laughs> with the State Department and uh, the AP reporter said, uh, where's your evidence? No, that's no evidence. That's just you saying it, Ned. <laughs> well, I just told you. No, that's not evidence. That's just you saying it. Uh, we understand that these people act this way. And so I said, you know, it may not be that that's just a, a full-on lie. Maybe that's their cover story for when they initiate something and uh, video surfaces showing that they initiated the attack. They can say, see, they, they did that. They, they initiated the attack. We, those were cadavers that they blew up. That wasn't living people that we blew up. You know, that 
I could see them doing that. I could see our government doing that. Of course, their government's capable of doing that type of thing as well. But nevertheless, that's the way governments operate. So the bottom line with John Rappaport is he said, not all protests are the same. Not all protests are launched for exactly the same reason. He said, this isn't QAnon crap. This is not Trumpism. This is not racism. This is not craziness or any hustle. This is real. And that's my problem that I had with the Stop the Steal January the 6th stuff. I said, first of all, you are putting everything on the line. You're ignoring what is being done to your life and what has been done to your life for the last year. And you are following this Trump around and, you know, well, we're gonna, everything's going to be fixed if we can just keep him in. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. That was the first thing that bothered me. You know, the fact that, you know, the people leading this stopped the steal. The steal began when Trump locked us down. He was stealing lives, small businesses. He was crushing them under his heel with the money that he was incentivizing this with and continued to incentivize it as the reports came in of what these tyrannical governors were doing. Democrats, for the most part, were worse, but there were some horrible Republicans as well. But Trump kept the money flowing to all of them as he kept the money flowing to Operation Warp Speed. And you want to go to bat for that guy? You want to try to defend him? You want to try to keep him in office? Are you kidding me? This one is real, though. He says, we don't back down. We stand firm. We don't quit. We make our voices heard no matter what. Because this is what it looks like. Truckers versus the Canadian government. Look at that. All these guys standing there in their jackboot black uniforms to stop extremists that look like this. Yeah, that's the threat. And that's what we're fighting for. Extremists like this little toddler holding a Canadian flag. And this girl knows what this is about. She wrote her own, she's a little bit older. She wrote her own note and holds it up and says, when I grow up, I want to be prime minister. No, she crossed that out and said, I want to be a trucker to save our country. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Pass to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com.
Good morning, Ottawa. I'm an Ottawa resident, long-time Ottawa resident. I'm here with one of our great truckers from the Freedom Convoy, and I'm here to say that no matter what you're getting from the mainstream media or the liars on council and the mayor, please believe me, the city has never been safer. The crime rate's gone down as low as it's been in history. The streets have never been cleaner. And the snow's finally getting shoveled downtown. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Yeah, that's the way you make the streets safer. Uh, you actually uh, put, um, uh, I've got the clip here. Take a look at this. This is how the streets get safer. This is what's happening on the streets now, right? Instead of the selling of drugs and drive-by shootings, uh, you got bouncy castles out there, and, and kids are playing in the street. They're having a festival. They're enjoying themselves. Streets have never been safer. The people in Ottawa don't like the horn honking, uh, but you know the people who are honking the horns don't like what the bureaucrats in Ottawa have been doing them to them for quite some time. They're focused around Parliament where they're honking the horns. But yeah, look at the streets. Boy, it's an emergency. Anyway, and as you see this, just remember the Ottawa mayor has declared a state of emergency. Looks like a big emergency there, doesn't it? Boy, be afraid. It's, it's very violent. Is that right? No. No, as a matter of fact, 92% of Canadians when asked by the Toronto Star, uh, the question was, was Ottawa right in declaring a state of emergency due to the protest? 92% of Canadians said no. 92% of Canadians, he didn't even get 8% of the people to agree with him that it was an emergency. <laughs> emergency, emergency, everybody to get from city. Uh, no, not even 8% because you've always got the people who don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the undecided. They can't decide anything. I don't, uh, I've known people like that. They're always in that category. But this is what the mayor said as he is freaking out. He said, clearly, we are outnumbered and we're losing this battle. That's why he's freaking out. He's outnumbered. He's outnumbered 92 to 6. That's what he's. And then, you know, he got a couple of percent of people that are out there on the side. I don't know what's going on. Who is this? What town are we living in? <laughs> uh, this has to be reversed, he said. We have to get our city back. I need my power back. I need to be in control. Freedom Convoy leader says, this is the only true opposition to communist liberals and socialist conservatives. See, he understands, when you, when you look at this, and we went back and looked at Aaron O'Toole, who I call Aaron the Tool. Aaron the Tool, who was head of the conservative party, they just had an election recently. Uh, Trudeau beat Aaron the Tool because it really wasn't a choice. It was an echo. And uh, what Aaron the Tool was all about was the climate MacGuffin. Everything was about taking stuff away from people. And he had never stood for freedom, and the people understood that. And so there was a, another party uh, that had been uh, put together by Maxime Bernier, and uh, yet it was brand new. It was to stand up for the people uh, and their freedom, uh, but it was uh, too small to win the election. Uh, because perhaps uh, because of uh, how recent it was. But let, let's understand as well that during the American Revolution, it was a small minority of people who stood up for freedom. The vast majority of people just said, I just want to be safe. That's, that's why the founders said what they did about the juxtaposition of liberty and security. Benjamin Franklin, 
those who will give up essential liberty. See, that was a time when we knew that liberty was essential. You don't have essential workers. No, liberty is essential. Trump, chump, you globalist chump, Donald Chump. No, liberty is essential, you grifting billionaire, con man. Uh, You don't give up essential liberty for the promise of security. And if you do, you don't deserve liberty, he said. And history has shown over and over again that you don't get that, right? That's a Faustian bargain, a Faustian bargain. And when you make that Faustian bargain, the devil never pays up. So explaining that the Uni Party in Parliament has become a coalition of communist liberals and socialist conservatives. If you look at the American GOP, you know, I, I should do that at some point. Or maybe somebody wants to do the research and write an article. Go for it. Over the past, we've had... Um, it was it was popular a couple of decades ago for people to go through and look at the uh, Communist Party manifesto like in the 1920s or 30s, right? They wanted uh, free state-run mandatory schools, for example, and a whole bunch of other things, uh, welfare state aspects and things like that that they wanted. And they said, look at this, you know, we've got it. And that was something that was agreed upon by both Republicans and Democrats. They were all in agreement with all those different things. And I think if we went back and we looked at the Democrat Party platform, let's say the early 60s when Kennedy was running, I think if you compared that Democrat Party platform in the early 60s and you compared it to the Republicans, the Republicans uh, would be far, far more liberal than the Democrats of, let's say, 1960. And um, uh, I think it'd be an interesting comparison. I'll have to do that someday. Uh, anyway, um, the uh, Winnipeg car that rammed the crowd, you know, the only violence that we've seen has come from the police and from Antifa. <laughs> How predictable. Uh, the Winnipeg car ramming suspect has been identified as an Antifa member. He was arrested over the car ramming attack against the Freedom Convoy protesters in Winnipeg, Canada. He is an Antifa member with a long history of far-left militantism in Manitoba. His name is David Alexander Zagarak, 42. He allegedly sped off to try and escape after the attack on on February the 4th, which injured four people. He ran multiple lights and resisted arrest when he was finally caught around 40 minutes later. Zagarak was the front man of an Antifa punk band called brat attack you can't make this stuff up i mean this is like babylon b this guy is as a 42 year old brat who attacked peaceful protesters tried to run them over with his car and he's been the front man for a group called brat attack <laughs> uh, this is uh, uh pilgrim's progress level uh <laughs> naming them. multiple accusations of sexual assault against him in 2015 one of the accusers said she was only 13 when he groomed her and raped her. What is he doing on the street? Oh, that's right. This is Canada. Yeah. Uh, where the liberals are running the uh, the uh, court system and the police, just like in Canada and California. So, we, you know, they probably got some Soros types turning people like him back out on the street so they can run people down. The Canadian anti-hate network has been caught spreading hate hoax to smear the truckers. This is Bernie Farber. 
Former CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress, current leader of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, he was caught spreading a hate hoax on Sunday in an effort to smear Canadian truckers. He posted an image of an anti-Semitic flyer, said it was taken by a friend in Ottawa with the occupation. Apparently, he said in plain sight, turns out the same photograph has already surfaced uh, weeks ago in Miami. So he said, oh, well, it must just be the same poster that's going around everywhere. But his group, the Anti-Hate Network, as uh, Informational Liberation points out, is a thinly veiled pro-Israel advocacy uh, organization modeled after the Anti-Defamation League. And they've already successfully gotten a quarter of a million dollars from Justin Trudeau last year in 2021. His Anti-Hate Network posted an article on Friday calling for new anti-hate legislation to advance mass Internet censorship and to imprison Canadians who post hate online. Well, don't you hear this uh, conversation, um, Nigel Farage and another man, uh, talking about free speech and why that isn't that doesn't come naturally to us. That's not the natural state of man or of man's society. It's not well, what's happened to erode free speech protections. I think the natural human default position is not to tolerate people who challenge your sacred values, who seem to transgress on what's really important to any community. The natural human impulse is to expel them, to cast them out. You know, and that's happened going down through the ages, and we've seen it happen in various totalitarian societies in the 20th century. Uh, that's the natural default human reaction, I think, to dissent. And it takes an enormous amount of work, an enormous amount of history and tradition, customs, institutions to protect free speech. And what we've seen is the erosion, the gradual deterioration of those protections. And so we're just defaulting to our much more naturally intolerant state. Interesting. I, think. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I was, I suppose, uh, in a sense, in the forefront of this, because I, I thought we should leave the European Union, and no one thought we should leave the European Union. And, and yes, you're, you're sort of cast out. But I thought we got past all of that. I thought the point of two world wars and huge sacrifice was that we could agree to disagree and do so in a civilised way. You're saying that's really quite a modern thing for mankind. I think it is fairly modern. I think it, 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 it's not more than about 200 years old. Okay. Um, and uh, we, we had a kind of golden period um, between, you know, the retirement of the Lord Chamberlain as the kind of censor of our mm. theatre uh, in the kind of mid-1960s up until about five, maybe ten years ago. A golden period of free speech. And we're now seemingly retreating from that. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, that is one way to look at it. Um, I, I think that we go through cycles. I, I think we go through seasonal cycles. I think um, I, I agree with the, um, the seasonal view of history with multiple generations that you see in the fourth turning. Uh, by the way, that was Toby Young. He's with the Free Speech Union. And, um, and, and I think he was right that it's not the natural state of man to uh, be tolerant, to uh, agree with, to allow people that you disagree with to speak. I think that's something we have to fight. Uh, our human nature, our fallen human nature, uh, does not want to um, to be tolerant of other people. And, and now what we're doing is we're giving in to the worst aspects of our nature. And you see that throughout society. Uh, people are giving in to hedonism and to depravity and to intolerance 
this is going through a very, we're, we're entering a very, very dark time spiritually. And that's because of the things that we have purged out of our society. The U.S. trucker convoy is coming, writes an op-ed piece on the Hill, uh, Liz Peek. Uh, she said, Joe Biden will ignore protests at his peril. Now, this is interesting because this is as close as I've come to anybody acknowledging what Biden is doing with this, uh, tr- his, his role in this uh, disruption of the supply chain, his role in terms of throwing a monkey wrench into the supply machinery. And uh, it, it dawned on me yesterday when I was preparing for the show and I was reading um, the, uh, uh, the analysis by a guy who specializes in logistics and supply chains and all the rest of this stuff, uh, typically focusing on the maritime aspect because that is our, our biggest link in the supply chain. Most of the stuff coming from China, we have all these ships that uh, bring stuff from China and then go back empty and then pick up another bunch of stuff and bring it over to us, right? And, and so that's typically the way it's happened. And he's talking about the the bottleneck uh, at L.A. and Long Beach, and how that's not getting any better, and uh, all these different things, how the price of uh, stuff is going up. But he said uh, Biden got rid of the, the uh, trucking mandates. And it's like, no, he didn't. Uh, maybe that's why people are not opposing this in America. I know why the Republicans don't want to oppose it. Uh, the Republicans don't really oppose it. That's why they don't oppose it. They don't want to oppose it because they don't oppose it. Uh, and they won't even do this to attack Biden. But you see, they're not the same thing. And let me just go through the chronology of this again, because I think this is very important. And I want to stress this. If you remember, Biden's mandates were announced September the 4th. In three months, we're going to do such and such, Right. And so they went away for a couple of months, and they, they came back. He did a couple of executive orders. <clears throat> he did executive order for the military and federal personnel. He did executive order for federal contractors. So we're not going to pay you if you don't do it. And they essentially did the same thing with hospitals, who are federal contractors in the sense that they get their money from CMS, the people who give them funds for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, those are the people that Trump, as I've said, you know, you want to know the difference between Trump and Biden over this vaccine stuff? Trump will incentivize it. He incentivized it by telling CMS, pay them 20% more if they can identify somebody as a COVID case. And they don't even have to have a positive test. They just do a clinical analysis because, you know, we don't have the tests and they don't work. And that's what the American Hospital Association said in August of 2020. They said, wait a minute, you're asking us for our tests now in order to give us our bonus? You told us when this happened, and that's exactly what they said. You don't have the tests, and, you, and, and they don't work anyway. And he told us just to do a clinical analysis, and now you're not going to pay up? That was the thing. When they welched on the bet, on the deal, in August of 2020, uh, then uh, the American Hospital Association, their partners in crime, started squealing. And that's when we found out about the 20% surcharge, uh, which has not really been talked about much. Anyway, the... Um, uh, when you when you look at what happened uh, with so the CMS under under Trump was incentivizing it with a surcharge, under Biden it was like we're not going to pay you anything unless you get everybody vaccinated that works for you. So that's the stick carrot versus stick. That's the difference between the two, Trump and Biden carrot stick. But it's always about the money. They can coerce you with the money. They can coerce you by giving you money, or they can coerce you by taking the money away. And it's far more effective to give you the money first and then take it away. 
they they've been living on these 20 percent bonuses and they certainly don't want to see that gone i mean cms was a big part of their budget to start with and now they got a 20 percent bonus you've got them hooked it's a tag team match good cop bad cop trump good cop biden bad cop now uh the uh fourth one was for companies 100 or more employees and as they were working that out if you recall it took them two months to come up with regulations about how osha was going to punish and fine people that didn't get their employees vaccinated if they had 100 or more employees and during that process you had stakeholders you know the guys who uh meet with them behind closed doors and one of those stakeholders was the trucking industry the big guys and they said uh, don't do this to the trucks give them an exemption and so they carved out an exemption for them now when this stuff came out um uh, as as this was being talked about um the uh, as they came out with the regulations they carved out that exemption for truckers as well as for people who are working from home uh, for the 100 plus uh, corporations with 100 plus employees. And then they extended, if you recall, they extended the deadline another month to January the 4th. You had a federal judge who said, this is not an emergency. First of all, you said you were going to take three months to put this in. And then you extended it a fourth month. So you don't believe it's an emergency. And that was one of the many things that he attacked them on. So, um, but, but what happened was, before that took place, January the 4th, if you recall, in an emergency meeting, the Supreme Court looked at the OSHA rule and said, no way, you don't have the power to do this. Shut up and shut it down. And stopped it uh, legally, blocked Biden's mandate. And so Biden's administration took that off uh, 25th or 26th of January. However, on the 22nd of January, that's Saturday, a week after Trudeau did it, January the 15th, Biden came in on the 22nd of January and didn't do a PR announcement about it, but they quietly imposed this control at the border. That was imposed through DHS, DHS, not OSHA. This mandate for truckers at the American border, for truckers coming in from Canada, truckers coming in from Mexico, that is coming from DHS, not from OSHA. And you got people, even like this guy who specializes in uh, logistics and supply chains and things like that, even he is confused about this. And I think that's intentional. I think they quietly impose this DHS uh, mandate. You even had some people say, well, they've carved it out for truckers and so forth uh, because we know what it's going to do to the supply chains. That was the January the 4th mandate. The January the 4th OSHA mandate stopped by the Supreme Court before it took effect. And then on January the 22nd, DHS imposes a mandate for truckers coming across both borders. Two days later, you've got uh, the Biden administration say, all right, we're giving up on the OSHA mandate, but not the DHS mandate. And that fooled a lot of people. So understand that that's what's going on. But I don't think that's really what's going on with the, uh, the, the people in Congress. And if they're that easily fooled, and if they don't know what's going on, uh, they don't deserve to be there. 
The convoy protests, says this uh, uh, writer for The Hill, a convoy protest in the U.S. would come at an awkward time. The public has had it with the government's draconian, ineffective measures to combat COVID-19. Biden will not dare stand up to the truckers if it comes. This is why Facebook, you know, just shut that uh, organization group down. They need to organize on Telegram. Uh, and yet, if he dismisses them as a small fringe minority, as Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau recently did, uh, they could get mad. They are emboldened by a growing body of evidence indicating that the restrictions and the rules promulgated by our government under both President Trump and President Biden were a mistake. Notice that she doesn't include the jabs. You must not criticize the genetic code injections. Under You can criticize the rules now. You can criticize the lockdowns. That would get you purged off of social media, get you fired from your job in the past if you criticize them. But now it's okay. To, to criticize those things, but not the jab. You must not criticize a jab or they will pull out everything to take you down. A new study from Johns Hopkins University shows that shutting down the country reduced COVID mortality by only 0.2%, while at the same time it caused devastating effects, that's their term, on the economy and drastic social ills. Well, I don't even think it had anything to do with COVID mortality, period. 0.2%? You can't reasonably measure something like that in a study. That's falderall. <laughs> Let's just call it falderall. <laughs> if I would have turned something like that in, my professor would have said, give me a break. You don't understand the tolerance of your measurements if you're going to do something like that. First of all, John Hopkins, this is a mea culpa. John Hopkins has been involved in these germ games, these simulations ever since the first Dark Winter. They have been hand in glove. Now, John Hopkins is, Johns Hopkins is a, a very big university, and uh, not everybody is involved with every study. Uh, but uh, this has been floating around for a while. Let me tell you what this is about, and let me tell you why they're focusing on the truckers. And let me tell you why the truckers need to stand up firm on this. Because they are on the cusp of getting rid of all the truckers, replacing them with autonomous semis. As I've said before, you've got the state of Texas begging big tech to do experiments of autonomous semi-trailers on our highways here. You're talking about insanity. Now, that's one way to get the population to zero, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but already you have robots that are outnumbering human workers in an autonomous truck yard north of Denver. A truck yard the size of a football field several miles north of Denver, a fleet of robotic trucks, ferry semi-trailers between assigned spots and warehouse doors for 16 hours a day. A few humans keep watch. Zach Moss, a 37-year-old former truck driver, who now spends much of his eight-hour shift at the desk inside a nearby warehouse. There he queues up moves and watches yard activity on a computer screen. Uh, if something seems off, he hits a kill switch. Otherwise, he works on administrative tasks, he talks to human co-workers, or he grabs a snack. Moss works as a test technician for Outrider. It's a golden-based robotics developer whose mission is to automate the bustling truck yards outside of tens of thousands of distribution warehouses across the world where most everyday goods are boxed and shipped to consumers. 
The pandemic has only accelerated the trend of replacing human workers with robots in warehouses and truckyard environments. It's happening everywhere. In the transportation arena, worker shortages have encouraged companies to experiment because they simply can't find drivers. Why can't they find drivers? Well, part of the reason now is because they're experimenting on the drivers. But you see, when I look at all this and people can say, sure, yeah, you know, we got, you know, there's, there's dangerous jobs and there's boring jobs and there's jobs that humans really don't want to do. We've heard that a lot, right? And we heard this during the boosting stage of global globalism. You know, these are jobs you Americans really don't want to do. So let's let the Chinese do it. We'll pay them slave wages. How about that? Everybody say, yeah, that sounds great. You know, that, that was always the hook out there from Reason and Cato and the Koch brothers. That was what they were telling everybody. I said, you know, that just doesn't work in the long term. It really doesn't. And if you're going to replace, and we're not talking about people who are doing manual labor, transporting stuff around. No, no, no. We're also talking about the studies from South Korea about a decade ago, saying that by 2030, they're going to replace 70% of the doctors and 70% of the lawyers as well. This is every industry all at once across all industries. We've never seen anything like that. And it's not just the entry-level positions. It's from the bottom to the top. This fourth industrial revolution is about changing everything horizontally and vertically, all industries, all levels of every industry, all at once. Uh, they have uh, set their sights on something that is very grand. And this is not the kind of world that we want to live in. And if we understand that before they put this through, uh, that's what they're concerned about. That's what Bloomberg was concerned about. He said, we're going to be working to put them out of their jobs. Unlike you know, the uh, agricultural revolution, unlike the industrial revolution, this one is different. This one, we're looking to put everybody out of their work putting us out of our misery, or maybe putting us out of their misery. He said, we just have to make sure we can keep them pacified with universal basic income so they don't come after us with guillotines. Michael Bloomberg. Leading a shift that will displace millions of workers in retail, trucking, manufacturing, and many other industries over the coming decades. In Colorado, roughly 477,000 workers are at especially high risk of having their jobs automated. You see, this is why... This whole COVID-19 thing was just so convenient for them. Uh, yeah, these convenience uh, theorists. It was just a, a, a wonderful coincidence that um, they had something that allowed them to replace all the workers. And that you would be replaced unless you take a jab which is going to uh, poison you and uh, affect your ability to reproduce. That's exactly where we are. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
listening to The David Knight Show. Okay, and welcome back. And I just want to say uh, to everybody who's watching, and we do have people who watch on Twitter. We have a lot more people still watching us on Twitter than are watching us on Rockfin. And the show is free Monday through Friday. So go to uh, rockfin.com forward slash David Knight. Is that what it is, Travis? Uh, I think that's what it is. We've that got is some absolutely correct. Rockfin.com forward slash David Knight. Good. And uh, we've got a few people who are watching us there now. And uh, you can comment there if you want as well. So there's some comments. Uh, we've had, uh, you can tip, uh, we've got uh, $7 in tips I today. I have had two donations. Rebecca Rose Newton donated $2, and I'm sorry I missed the first donation, but thank you. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, we want to make sure, because, you know, uh, you never know what's going to happen. Twitter uh, has, I've been on Twitter for years. Uh, I'm shadow banned on Twitter. Uh, but um, I'm still there, and that's surprising to me. I'm not going to take it down. They'll take it down when they're ready to take it down. I'll put it up everywhere. Uh, we're going to put it up in other places as well, but it's just you know, trying to get uh, all these different uh, things in line. But if you want to know where we are, because it's constantly changing, uh, go to thedavidnightshow.com, and there you will see all the different places where you can catch the show live as well as where you can uh, see the full show and video, or we pull out different segments each day, uh, shorter segments, anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes, typically. Uh, we'll pull out segments and put them up, and then the full show is there as well. And uh, you can also find the links to where you can catch the show on, on a podcast, on audio. Uh, and there's a lot of different places that it gets pushed out to, uh, even some places that we don't know about. Uh, but it'll have the major ones listed there, like iTunes and others. Right now, uh, we're still not on Spotify, although I resubmitted it after I moved the Real David Knight Show. We got the Real David Knight Show and the David Knight Show. Both of those, it's the same thing on uh, podcasts. And I had a person ask me, said, uh, on Spreaker, you got three different shows. And I said, no, we've only got two. I looked at it, and one of them was being put up by Aftermath FM. Um which you know, I don't know if they were monetizing it or not, um, but they, I didn't know they were going to do that. But now Aftermath FM is, has shut down. And my biggest concern is that I'm afraid that people who are watching it from that feed uh, think that it's gone away. So there's only two, and there's two because we had couldn't get the name re- returned to us initially. So um, we have the Real David Knight Show and the David Knight Show. Those get pushed out everywhere. And... Um, the only people that have blocked us so far have been Spotify. Uh, blocked me years ago, blocked me again last year when I started pushing it out from Spreaker, uh, then blocked me when I pushed it out from Podbean. And um, now I moved uh, the stuff from Podbean over for uh, uh, dynamically inserted ads, and um, I submitted it again, so we'll see what happens after you know put it in there. But it usually takes them a few weeks before they realize – uh, before they recognize me and kick me off again. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'm persona non grata. Uh, I guess it's, uh, is it something I said? <laughs> it must be, I don't know. Here's some good news, though. Let's talk a little bit about some headline news. The IRS has now abandoned the plans to require third-party facial recognition. That's really good news. If you recall, I reported that a couple of weeks ago, that uh, coming this summer, you would not be able to interact with the IRS other than, you know, sending them the money. And if you don't send them the money, they take it. Uh, But, you know, other than that aspect of it, if you had any questions or clarifications, or even if you wanted to, for example, 
uh, if I I interact with them in terms of I have to make my deposits now they they require that you log in to make your deposits for payroll and things like that so uh, you have to log in to do that they were not going to let me log in I was going to have to do some kind of a facial scan to log in it was I'm thinking well this is a problem here uh, but um, you know I'm not trying to hide my face <laughs> or my name or my identity I'm trying to get in their face. Uh, but I'm glad that I don't have to go through this hassle. And the thing that concerned me more than my personal um, uh, identity, because I'm not trying to conceal that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, everywhere, uh, but um, everywhere I can get. Uh, but the thing that concerned me was the fact that it was becoming a de facto biometric database. So they're going to collect this and use it in sinister ways like the Chinese do. That's always been the plan. And so to see the IRS pull that in, and you had some Democrats who were pushing back against it. Again, Ron Wyden, the guy who exposed the dragnet surveillance from James Clapper. And, of course, nobody came after Clapper for committing perjury under oath. They let the five-year statute of limitations expire. What does that say about the Democrats as well as the Republicans? No, they criticized Ron Wyden for that. And again, I don't agree with Ron Wyden on anything, but he, except for the civil liberty issue, he seems to be spot on. He seems to be really the best. I mean, it was Ron Wyden. It wasn't Ron Paul who, uh, or Rand Paul, who pushed against this. Uh, so now they have pulled back. The proposed move would have used a company called ID.me. It was criticized resoundingly by privacy advocates and some members of Congress who say the technology is flawed and would not recognize users if they experienced significant physical changes. Well, see, that's not the real issue. The real issue is that they're creating a biometric database, uh, which we don't want them to do. Uh, Ron Wyden said this is big. He said, while this transition may take time, the administration recognizes that privacy and security are not mutually exclusive you don't have to violate our privacy in order to have things that are secure and you don't need to create a police state speaking of police states uh, gun control is now um, biden is focusing on that more than ever we have iowa as a second state that is considering a second amendment preservation act missouri has already done a second amendment preservation act and as BearingArms.com points out, it doesn't actually nullify federal law. It means only that only feds can enforce those laws. It's an important distinction that too many people miss, and it's why I think this measure will survive a legal challenge, says the writer at Bearing Arms. Now it seems that Iowa is considering a similar law. What we're talking about here, folks, is, uh, again, it's not nullification. What it is is uh, anti-commandeering. And that is a very well-established principle as well, saying that the federal government cannot come into an area and tell the police or the sheriff and his deputies, you've got to do this, you know, you've got to uh, enforce these laws for me. They can't commandeer their services. And so that's a very important thing. And so that's what's been picked up in Missouri and in Iowa. They say, well, if the federal government wants to uh, confiscate guns, they'll have to do it without our help. Unfortunately, that's not good enough, is it? Because what is the purpose of government? The purpose of government is to defend our God-given liberties. And uh, that includes our ability to keep and bear arms to protect ourselves. And so 
the reality is, is that any state government worth its salt or any local government worth its salt has a duty to defend, which means nullification. And it means interposing, not just saying, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to sit here as a neutral observer. I won't help you do it. No, you have to stand there and say, we will resist if you try to do this. You stand with the community. Uh, that's what they're supposed to do. Um, so uh, the, um, the legislation would uh, be essentially anti-commandeering. As uh, they point out, Biden's focus on guns is a completely wrong approach. He's been focusing on guns rather than on criminals. With violent crime increasing over the last two years, Americans want a solution, writes John Lott with Fox News. He says, but President Biden constantly frames violent crime as only a gun problem. Well, you know, it's um, this is kind of the same thing that Republicans did with the war on drugs, didn't they? Right. They say, well, you know, uh, drug use, um, that's something we can solve with law enforcement. See, the problem is that, um, as I've mentioned many times, when you do prohibition, you intensify what you're actually trying to prohibit. You corrupt law enforcement. You corrupt courts. You ignore the law. That's how the corruption comes through. And so uh, when you ignore the fact that drugs are a spiritual problem, or at the very least, if, you're, if you uh, are an atheist, you would acknowledge that it is a psychological, physiological, medical issue and not a law enforcement issue, whatever, uh, by misidentifying the source of the problem, at least the things like gun control, at least the things like mandatory minimums and SWAT team, uh, no-knock raids, and uh, civil asset forfeiture and all the rest of this type of stuff. And what uh, Biden is doing is essentially making the same problem. He's not recognizing the source of this, and he's focusing on something that he can confiscate or regulate, the gun, just like the Republicans focused on the drug. The drug wasn't the problem. Yeah, there, are, uh, there, there is a distinction between uh, firearms and drugs in the sense that there is no good use for meth. No good use for it. You know, you, you, any of the guns can be used to protect somebody or they can be used to attack somebody. And so it depends on who's wielding it for what purpose. And that's what we understand. That's why, you know, it's easier for them perhaps to understand that. There is no good use for meth. But let me tell you, meth would not exist if it wasn't for drug prohibition. You'd still have people going around using marijuana or whatever, and it wouldn't be uh, highly intensified marijuana. Uh, so that is the same. They're making the same. Um, perhaps we can broaden this out and get some people on both the left and the right to understand this. I don't know. Uh, Christy Nome has signed a law banning transgender athletes from female sports. Let me tell you, this trans thing is a pedophile agenda. It is not an issue of women's sports. And this is the only way that the Republicans will address this issue, is to pretend that it's a, a feminist issue. But th th this, this allows them to virtue signal with feminists. See, I'm on the side of women now. You always called us male chauvinist pigs, but now we're on the side of women against the trannies. And um, they are avoiding the core issue of this. And we know what that is. Uh, all of this stuff about putting in the schools, 
You put that stuff in a school, you're nothing but a pedophile. And we need to call it out for what it is. It isn't LGBT. This is not transgenderism. This is pedophilia. And they're doing it to kids at a very young age with a drag queen story time hour and all the rest of this stuff. Prohibit that. Shut down the schools and libraries that do that. Mass exodus from indoctrination to freedom. Schoolhouse rocked the homeschool revolution. There's an interesting article on The New American about uh, a family uh, who put together married filmmakers, Garrett Hampton and Yvette Hampton. And uh, they've just put out a new documentary called Schoolhouse Rocked, the homeschool revolution. What started out as a plan to be on the road for a year ultimately turned into a remarkable three-year journey that introduces a family to hundreds of homeschooling parents, as well as some of the most prominent voices advocating for this growing alternative form of education. Uh, as they, uh, some of the people that they talked to uh, pointed out, Heidi St. John, founder of Firmly Planted Family Homeschool Resource Center, among others, said, your children are your responsibility. And the very hearts and minds of the children hang in the balance. It's time for parents to take back what the public school has stolen from us, which is the education of our children, and to realize that we have already been equipped and we can do it. You know, I should, uh, I was just saying to a Karen this morning, I need to take some time and I need to do a specific uh, I'm not interested in selling a film or doing a documentary, but I need to do an extended report and focus on education because I don't see any role, any legitimate role for government in education. And I could easily make the case it was all described by R.L. Dabney back in the 1870s uh, when he talked about education and he talked about just the political issues and how it would destroy the fabric of the Constitution and our society if we decided that we wanted the government to run schools. And um, I'm going to do that sometime. I, I aspire to do that. I say that I'm going to do things I don't get around to doing them. Um, mainstream media says the Free Thought Project is showing its true colors by pushing harder to cancel Joe Rogan than they are to expose Ghislaine Maxwell's customers. Well, that's an interesting take on it. That's absolutely right as well. By the way, Rumble coming out and offering a multi-year, I think it's four-year contract with Joe Rogan for $100 million. Uh, and they said, no, this is legit. This is serious. Uh, no, it's not. He's under contract. He's not going to jump ship. Uh, if they find some reason there to... Um, to terminate his contract, uh, then I'm, I'm sure that he would take them up on that. I mean, that's a lot of money there. Um, I, I look at uh, what is happening, and I, you know, I, when I put these ads in there, there's no contract involved. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't even get Spotify to uh, run my program, <laughs> let alone pay me $100 million. I don't know. Maybe I should be doing drugs. You may think <laughs> – we could get some mushrooms or something. I could do the show. Maybe that'd get me a contract with Spotify. Bank of America is forecasting seven rate hikes in 2022. And then they're forecasting massive pain. And the person who is doing the analysis at Bank of America, the chief equity strategist, said, um, based on looking at the overvaluation of the, you know, the, the economic bubble, the overvaluation of the stock market, uh, doesn't even think that seven rate hikes are going to get us to a neutral state. 
So they're embarking on a hiking cycle, writes uh, Zero Hedge, into an overvalued market. In fact, as Michael Hartnett showed last Friday, the only time that stocks were more overvalued entering a rate height cycle was in 1999, and it ended pretty poorly then. How did it end? A dot-com crash, right? Uh, so we shall see what happens with that. But while we're talking about economics, uh, this article uh, by Simon Black at Sovereign Man is an excellent historical comparison. And, of course, everybody likes to talk about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire and how does that you know, reflect on other countries at uh, the time of the American Revolution is when um, that was written. And Benjamin Franklin made the uh, comment uh, to the author. He said, oh, I loved your book, and I'm anxious to see the fall of another empire soon. <laughs> Talking about the British Empire. But let's talk about the parallels. The, the title of this essay is Dominant Superpowers Do Not Accumulate $30 Trillion in Debt. And there's a lot of other things that they don't do that we are now doing. But there's some interesting parallels. If we go back to Rome, he says, the year 238 AD began with Maximinus I as emperor of Rome, a former peasant who had worked his way up through the ranks of the military before being chosen as emperor by his troops. By August of that year, Maximinus was dead and five other men had briefly held the title of emperor. Only one, Gordian III, was still alive by the end of 238 AD. This is known in Roman history as the year of six emperors, and it was an obvious watershed moment in the debate of the decline of the empire. It's not like Rome hadn't seen plenty of turmoil before. There had been a full-blown civil war between Julius Caesar and Pompey the Great three centuries prior in 49 BC. Caligula managed to engineer a major supply chain crisis during his reign in the early first century. Much of the city of Rome burned to the ground under Nero in 64 AD. Uh, but more than a dozen emperors have been assassinated up to that point in Roman history. People were used to crisis and chaos. However, the year of the six emperors felt different. It was as if Rome suddenly realized that they were no longer the dominant superpower. The next few decades, in fact, are known as the crisis of the third century, with more than two dozen emperors seizing the throne in a power struggle, murdering their political enemies, then being assassinated themselves. Uh, so... Uh, several of them sat on the throne for a matter of just days before they were killed. He said the government was extremely unstable, notoriously corrupt. Hmm, okay, that sounds familiar. Uh, they rigged elections. Oh, check that box too. They sent Praetorian guards to harass and intimidate their opponents. Another box to check. And they sowed social conflict so that Romans turned on one another. Hmm. In the meantime, the Roman economy was collapsing. Inflation became so rampant that Diocletian infamously had to implement extreme price controls, then threatened to kill anyone who didn't follow them. <laughs> they also lost control of their borders as countless barbarian tribes poured into the empire and squatted on Roman lands. We're just checking one box after the other here. The barbarian migration eventually turned into a full-blown invasion and military conflict, and the Roman military lost a number of major battles. Oh, there's another one. Uh, in 251 AD, for example, Rome suffered a crushing defeat by the invading Goths at the Battle of Abritus. The Goths decimated three Roman legions, killed the emperor, and stole tons of gold. Even the lowest pe peasant was able to figure it out. 
Dominant superpowers don't lose battery uh, ba- um, battles. Dominant superpowers maintain secure borders. Dominant superpowers have strong currencies. Dominant superpowers don't blow through six liters in a year. They aren't in a constant state of social revolution. And dominant superpowers are not bankrupt. So we can say the same thing today, especially true after last week's watershed moment in which the U.S. national debt reached $30 trillion for the first time. But it's not just the debt. It's so much more. Dominant superpowers don't surrender tens of billions of dollars of military equipment to their sworn enemy, then fly away with local civilians clinging to the side of their aircraft. And we could add, and leaving behind, abandoned uh, civilians. Uh, Dominant superpowers don't abandon their own citizens abroad. Well, he did add that there. Uh, Dominant superpowers don't engineer historically high inflation, then ignore it. Nor do they embrace socialism. Dominant superpowers don't send their government agents to harass innocent citizens or to tell parents that they have no say in the education of their children. Dominant superpowers don't suspend their constitutions because of a virus. They don't give people incentives to not work. They don't constantly make it difficult for small businesses to succeed. I just have to say here. We've never seen in the Roman Empire or anything else the kinds of things that were implemented first by the Chinese, then copied by Italy, by Trump, by everybody. This is every country. This is not just the U.S. This is a global thing. We have never seen that kind of lockdown imposed. And the fact that it was done so quickly, that it was done globally, that it was done in such a totalitarian uh, fashion, should really give us concern about what these people are capable of and willing to do with the technocracy. Getting back to his essay, dominant superpowers don't deliberately reduce our military's physical fitness standards in the name of diversity and inclusion. They don't prioritize equity over security. Hmm. So, you know, uh, he can go through all these different things. One thing that he doesn't mention is that dominant superpowers don't go into moral decay. And that is exactly what is happening in our country. Uh, So, like Rome, these are all obvious signs of decline. And so the question, the only question that remains, is this suicide or is this under the control of some kind of a malevolent power, malevolent technology? Are they actively working on a plan to burn society down? Well, let me just say, we look at um, another question from an ex-CIA officer. What happens when America experiences real war with a superpower? Well, I would ask, what happens when America experiences real war with a supernatural power? Because uh, when we look at what is happening in this country, we have focused on thumbing our nose at God. And I want to just show you, I talked about how this really shows up, you know, the Bible will say, um, uh, when it talks about times of revival, right, Uh, it says that uh, the father's hearts will be turned toward their children. That's a sign of revival. When we turn away from our children, when we turn on our children, 
That is a sign of the worst kind of moral depravity. And when we look at the child trafficking that is happening and all the pedophilia, understand that all this stuff about QAnon and how Trump was rounding up networks of pedophiles, you know that that was fake, right? How do you know that that was fake? How do you know that that was totally fake? How do you, how did I know that was totally fake from the very beginning? Because if you're rounding up networks of pedophiles secretly, and we don't see any of that stuff, right? Uh, you know, there's been some busts and that type of thing. But the real network of pedophiles is in Washington, D.C. They're sitting in the, on Capitol Hill. They're people like Dennis Hastert. And they're people who are openly plying this stuff. They are people who are pushing this LGBT agenda on our kids and excusing it. They're people who are misdirecting you to think that if we just stop boys and women's sports, we've done something good, while at the same time the RNC is doing major outreach to these uh, same groups and Trump himself winning awards. But let me tell you, when we turn against our children, this is what it looks like. Look at this woman that was arrested at the border for trafficking children. You will, you will not believe what she does. Okay. Put your feet in. She's handcuffed. She's on the side of the van. And she's got this scowl on her face. Even so we can close the doors. She, removes, she refuses to remove her feet so they can close the doors and put her in the paddy wagon. Okay. She's going to close the door. You stay right there before we move. <laughs> Look at that. Calm down. Calm down. Back up. Back up. Back up. Look at that. Get your foot back in there. Get your foot back in there. Get your foot back in there. Ma'am. Ma'am, we're going to have to tase you. You're not going to like that. I don't understand what you're telling me. Look at that. And this is officer's camera. This is not some staged event. Look at this. Bro. We're going to have to uh, secure in a different, in a different vehicle. Do you realize what we're fighting? This is not, uh, we're not at war with a superpower. We're at war with supernatural powers. I want you to hear a little bit of what Elon Musk had to say, and I'll follow it up with some comments about what he had to say with Doug Wilson. So that, that first flight with humans on board, um, how did you feel leading up to that launch? Were you scared? Were you excited? What was going through your mind? So much was at stake. Yeah, no, that was extremely stressful, no question. Um, we obviously could not... Um, let them down in any way. Um, so extremely stressful, I'd say, uh, to say the least. But we did. I was confident that at the time that we launched, that no one could think of anything uh, at all to do that would improve the probability of success. Um, and we we racked our brains to think of any possible way to improve the probability of success. We could not think of anything more, and and nor could NASA. And so. The, and that that's just the best that we could do. So then we we had, we went ahead and launched. Now I'm not a religious person, um, but I nonetheless got on my knees and prayed for, for that mission. 
we have to make a distinction here. When he says he's not a religious person, he's, he's not saying, I'm an atheist, and then I pray to the God whom I believe is not there. Uh, when he says, I'm not a religious person, he's saying, I'm not a churchgoer, I'm not, I don't, I'm not attached to any particular formulation of faith. But he knows something. He knows there's a God, and he knows that he can do absolutely everything he can do and still not be able to guarantee the safety of the people he's launching uh, into space. And so he turns to the one who has absolute control over it. And this is uh, an acknowledgment that every, uh, what Romans 1 tells us, that, that we all know that there's a God. We all know his supreme power and majesty. We all know that he's there, and we all know that we are in his hands. And I think it is striking and admirable that Musk has acknowledged that, at least that much. But there's a way to go. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, we, we can look at creation, and we can understand that there is a creator. There's an intelligence behind it. Uh, this building did not happen with a tornado in a junkyard. And you look at a car, and you know that it had a maker. It's too complex to just have put itself together. Living things are far more complex than that. They're design systems. It's, it's uh, replicating, repairing systems in many cases. The DNA is uh, the code of life that these people are tampering with. But there had to be a coder to create that to start with. All plants, all animals. And, and so we can see the fingerprints of God. The question then is, uh, has he revealed himself? Well, I think he has in the Bible. And I can make a strong case for that. Uh, I'm satisfied uh, that that's true. But we can also see the, the work of evil, a supernatural evil, that is not at the same level as God. God is uh, above that uh, and um, allows that to exist for a period of time for his purposes. And yet I think probably the best example of this is like that woman that you saw there, child trafficking, or just take a look at this pro-pedophilia professor who, last week, teacher at a public university in New York, under investigation, uh, I believe he was later dismissed, uh, after the public became aware of his promotion of pedophilia. Imagine he said that an adult male wants to have sex with a 12-year-old girl. Imagine that she's a willing participant. A very standard, widely held view is that there's something deeply wrong about this. He said, well, it's not obvious to me that it's wrong. Uh, yeah, and that's the kind of guy that is teaching in the universities. You want to know why we got teachers the way that, that we have in these government schools? Because those places, those universities, have become seminaries of Satan. And um, when he talks about this, this is a 12-year-old girl. They're telling kids far younger than that that they can determine that they're a different gender, and they can permanently mutilate their bodies in an irreversible way at a very, very young age, six years old, eight years old, chemical castration, other things that are being done to these children, many of them before they even reach puberty. Why are they doing that? Because if you can say that a child has the maturity to do that at five or six, this mitigates against everything that our society understands. And... Um, you know, the, the idea that there are certain behaviors like you know, driving a car, owning a gun, drinking alcohol, 
smoking a cigarette, all these different things that we're going to allow adults to do to one extent or the other, but we're not going to allow children to do that. One of those things has been consenting to sex before a certain age. It's called statutory rape. But if, but why, why is it not only allowed, why is it protected? Why is it pushed by our schools, this transgenderism? Because underneath it is pedophilia. Uh, so he was teaching at SUNY Fredonia, and um, he suggested at one point that there is a strong evolutionary, evolutionary case for adult-child sex. He said, I think exploring why it's a mistake will tell us not only things about adult-child sex and statutory rape, but also about the fundamental principles of morality. Oh, yes, it will. Except this is a guy who has nothing to do with that. He said, before we condemn people for engaging in these on the basis of probabilistic utilitarianism. What? (laughs) We should know that it does pose a risk for those willing participants, and I don't think we know that. He compares minors consenting to sex to them consenting to a kickball game or lessons. No, let me tell you what it is. It is them and their parents consenting to them being part of this drag queen story time hour, this other kind of stuff. And um, the, um, it was just a few weeks ago that you had a professor from Old Dominion University in Virginia doing the same thing, talking about minor attracted persons, which is just a euphemism for pedophiles. Uh, Fox News reported a school spokesman, Amber Kennedy there, released a statement saying Old Dominion University has placed Dr. Alan Walker on administrative leave effective immediately from their position as assistant professor of sociology and criminal justice. You see, even when this university fires this person for promoting pedophilia, the university kowtows to this transgenderism, saying my pronouns are there, multiple, right? Yeah, we are legion, we are many. Yeah, you want to know (laughs) why they have these kind of pronouns? Probably because it's like that uh, woman you just saw. They're trying to put in the van. Uh, They're not alone. It's not one person. There's other personalities there. I want to state in the strongest terms possible that child sexual abuse is morally wrong and has no place in our society, said the university president. But they are not going to stop the uh, kowtowing with pronouns. Federally funded study is paying gay and transgender children to report sexual activity. It's a Columbia University study, $8 million since 2012. What government agency would pay uh, children to report sexual activity? Well, you got one guess. Fauci and Francis Collins, NIH. $275 to minor boys who report their sexual activity, which is statutory rape. you got the federal government telling us, just tell us all about the statutory rape. That's fine. We'll pay you if you tell us about your experiences. There are additional concerns that minor children in the study may be engaged in sexually exploitative relationships with older males, sex trafficking, like that woman, child prostitution, violence, and sexual abuse from which they should be protected said one person who had an issue with this. Uh, (laughs) And um, uh, the USAID, this is a front organization for the CIA, USAID. 
So there is an ethical balance between investigators' desire to enroll children in a study and the need to support parents in caring for their children. There's no balance. There's no balance there. Just like there's no balance between trading your liberty off for security, there's no balance about this. It's all on one side. You, you can't. Well, on the other hand, you know, we could let the kids, uh, you know, uh, participate in statutory rape and we could pay them to report it to us. That'd be a nice experiment. We could do some stuff about that. Uh, the researchers were able to obtain a parental permission waiver required by the Department of HHS before conducting studies on minor subjects. So that's okay. Yeah. See, if the parents say it's okay. If the parents say it's okay to put the kids in drag queen story time hour, then I guess all of us are just okay with that, right? And these, this is coming from the same people like Melissa Harris Perry. We've got to get over the idea that children belong to you unless you want to take these kids and put them into some kind of a pedophile thing. Then they do belong to you, and you can consent to that, and you can do that to them, right? How upside down and backwards the society is. You know, we're going to say that um, there is uh, that if you want to kill your child, we're going to call that choice. But if you want to not vaccinate your child, no, no, you're not going to have that choice. If you don't want to put the injection in your arm, uh, that's not your choice either. But, you know, um, we, we want uh, the parents who don't own the kids, according to the left, they don't own the kids. There are no parental rights. But now the parental, the parents can come over here and sign, uh, sign them over to the pedophile playground and will actually pay the kids $275. Bioethics fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, Dr. Aaron Rothstein, said that he is surprised by the waiver given that the minor subjects are both paid and provided transportation to the meetings without parental consent. So with all that happening, we see Christy Nome saying we're going to stop this Boys and women's sports. And that's exactly where Donald Trump draws a line. He doesn't draw the line with um, promoting transgenderism. He doesn't draw the line with uh, trying to elevate people within the Republican Party to positions of power uh, based on their LGBT virtue signaling. No, no, he just draws a line with women's sports. And so does the RNC with their RNC Pride Coalition bragging about that. Same with uh, General Flynn bragging all the way back in 2014, a former SEAL. Uh, he elevated him and honored him and put him forward. That was uh, Michael Flynn, Donald Trump. You know, these people that are going to save our society. Uh-huh. So um, as uh, Trump is talking about that, uh, Trump's Texas promise that he made about protecting women's sports, not about protecting children, is a voter-forced reversal of his prior hands-off response to the transgender ideology. Now he's in campaign mode. Now he's going to tell you what you want to hear. He knows what you want to hear. He knows what's right. He knows what you want to hear. And he'll tell you that. But then when he becomes president, he'll do exactly the opposite. In June 2020, Trump endorsed the Supreme Court's declaration that a 1960s sex equality law now bars employers from firing men who insist that they're women. He said, no, they've ruled. They've ruled, and we live by their decision. That's what this is all about. We live with the decision of the Supreme Court. Very powerful, very powerful decision, actually. But they've ruled. No, we don't have judicial supremacy. The man is completely clueless. 
legally, constitutionally, morally, for years. I said one of the things that's different about the homosexual movement is the fact that they're proud of their sin. Most people, I said, you don't, you don't see uh, men who cheat on their wife having a parade about it, right? Unless they're Donald Trump. <laughs> and he proves that wrong. He is proud of his betrayal. He's proud of his sin. And um, so, but let's just look at the women's sports. That's the only thing that matters, right? To the David Knight Show. Let's talk a little bit about uh, safety, about toxic medications. And, and I want to begin with a video that was pushed to me on YouTube. And it was uh, debunking the idea that Operation Warp Speed was rushed to market, that these things were not adequately tested. I want you to hear. Uh, what this guy says, and then, of course, I will debunk the debunker here. Uh, but uh, here he is trying to make the case that nothing important, there weren't any important steps that were skipped. <laughs> there was fast track in the execution of the clinical trials, and I think it's, it's very important to know what parts were fast tracked and which parts were not. So the fast track part were regulatory approvals, funding, data analysis, and submission to the FDA. Those are all paperwork items. What was not fast-tracked was enrollment of patients, um, clinical follow-up of these patients, capturing the events which occurred, and the follow-up. So these trials were executed very, very well. For the people who think that they've had COVID and they don't need the vaccine, for them, I would say that you would still want to get the vaccine because it's going to give you long-term protection. For the people who are young and healthy, who think that I'm not going to get severe COVID, I'm not going to die from it, from them, I wanted, for them, I want to say they should get the vaccine Yes, to protect themselves, because even young people can get severely ill, but more so for your community, for your friends, for your family, for your country. I, I would encourage every person Do it for Trump. to go out and Do it for Biden. your COVID-19 vaccine so that we can all go, get back to our lives again. And those oh, symptoms yeah. include things like being having muscle aches, having... Okay, and it goes on and on. But let's just take those first two people. Let's start with the lady who spoke second. Uh, she says, uh, you want to do this for the long-term protection. How do you know that? Have you done a long-term test? Do you know that it's effective in the long-term? Well, no, you don't, because you didn't do a test for 10 years, which is what Fauci had said. You know, we got to figure out a way that we're uh, going to, you know, the, as the guy from The New Yorker said. So how do we get everybody in the world to take this vaccine that hasn't been tested? And Fauci says, well, you do it from the inside. <laughs> you do it disruptively and iteratively and you do it with lots and lots of propaganda that by the way i'm sure these people are being paid handsomely uh 250 million dollars was a kitty biggest the ad council's ever had i'm sure they're channeling them money 
giving it to YouTube to put this stuff out there, pushing it to me all the time. And, um, uh, you know, pushing it out to other people as well. Uh, but, of course, you know, she says you've got to do it for long-term protection. And, again, that is just absolute nonsense. How could she say that? She doesn't know that these things do protect in the long term. That's the way you test a vaccine. Let's understand that um, you had uh, uh, multi- the, the way that therapeutics and vaccines were tested was different with the FDA. You had three phases of tests on humans, and they had the animal tests prior to that. With a therapeutic, you know, you would start with a very, very small test of people, typically prisoners who were going to, you know, uh, people who uh, are, are kind of desperate um, and um, uh, they'll do anything for a small incentive. So they'd have a few prisoners maybe who would volunteer. That's key. They would volunteer for a test. And um, a- after you did the animal tests, then you would start your human test and you would have a, a small group of people. That'd be phase one. And that was just for safety. And then um, to see if something happened, adverse effect that did not show up in the animals. After that, then you would do, for a therapeutic, you would have phase two. Now, this is where the track diverges, right? You would have, for a vaccine and a therapeutic, you would theoretically, in the past, do animal studies. And then you would have phase one trials to see what happened to the people. And that should run for quite some time. Because uh, most people are not going to get a drug or a therapeutic and drop over dead. I mean, that can happen. But if you've done animal tests, uh, that's not typically what's going to happen. That's what's so unusual about these vaccines, by the way. Typically, it would take a year or longer for these things to manifest themselves. So you would do the, uh, for both a therapeutic and a vaccine, you would do the phase one test, safety only. Then for a therapeutic in phase two, you would get people who already had the disease or the condition that the therapeutic was supposed to treat. And you would give them this and then you would evaluate it for safety again, but also now for efficacy. Did it cure the condition? Vaccines are different. Vaccines are supposed to prevent you from getting a disease. And so what they would do, and and time is even more essential in a vaccine test because that's the only way that they could look at its efficacy is over time because they were not allowed to do a challenge test. In other words, they were not allowed to vaccinate you for a disease and then expose you to the disease to see if it worked. That's been prohibited and rightfully so. And so what they would do is they would give people the vaccine and they would let them circulate around and they would have, uh, you know, two groups they have the control group and the other group, and they would look to see if there was any difference between the two as they circulated around society. And so they would let that run for years. This is why this took 10 years. Each of these phases would take several years. If uh, phase two looked good in terms of safety and in terms of efficacy after letting this go for three years or so, then they would do phase three. Phase three would be just like phase two, except a larger group. And um, uh, so that was all skipped. And so when this guy says, well, the only thing that was fast-tracked was the paperwork, you know, the registering and the application to the FDA, the funding, we fast-tracked the funding uh, through, through Trump, the data analysis, he said, was fast-tracked. Well, let me tell you, if you don't run this thing for years, you don't have any data to analyze. That's the whole point. It's got to run for years to have the data to analyze it. The guy is flat out lying, 
straight to your face, just like Fauci, just like Kerry Mullis said about Fauci and the PCR test. He said he'll look at you right in the camera and lie. And that guy was doing the same thing. Look you right in the eye in the camera and lie to you. Oh, yeah, we fast-tracked the data analysis. You fast-tracked the data collection, which invalidates your entire trial. And then we fast-tracked the submission. Again, he's talking about the paperwork stuff. That's right. They fast-tracked all of that. But you know what they're slow-walking? They're slow-walking all that paperwork that they fast-tracked. They don't want you to see that paperwork for 55 years. And then after people say, wait a minute, we've got a four-year request here. You've got to turn this over. You only took a couple of months to look at this. It's all right. 75 years now. We need even more time. We've looked at some of this stuff. Did they evaluate this stuff? If they evaluate it, why can't they release it? They had a judge jump in. They're going to release some of this at a faster track, they say. I'm sure they'll find another way to stop that. No, they're not even the fast tracking of the application and the data analysis. They didn't even bother to look at it. Uh, Or if they did look at it, they have criminal culpability and they have criminal culpability because they didn't do their job but anyway he said what was not fast-tracked was the clinical follow-up the enrollment and the capturing of events well no they did fast-track that because again the capturing of the events the capturing of the data so they can analyze it that has to happen over a period of 10 years and they got rid of that why they did it from the inside they did it by disrupting our society and panicking everybody Massive amounts of cash is the one thing that Fauci didn't mention, but they did it iteratively. So, yeah, there is no long-term protection, lady, if you haven't uh, demonstrated that. Uh, So, as you look at the the fact that uh, these vaccines are not put through the proper safety trials for gene technology, you don't believe me? Well, here's a guy who is a pharmaceutical research and development scientist, Dr. John D. Flack. Yeah, he's going to be taking a lot of flack for what he had to say about this stuff. He'll be taking a lot of flack from his former employers in the pharmacia cult. He said, COVID-19 vaccines were not subject to the standard safety studies usually required for novel genetic-based medicines. And, And so his big beef with all of this is the fact that he says this is something that is so different, so unusual. And this is what I said from the very beginning. You know, when, when this is all being kicked around and when Fauci and Trump did their little staged drama where he brings all the different CEOs of these different pharmaceutical companies in and he goes around the table, he asks this one guy, how long is it going to take? Oh, it's going to take me several years. Uh, we can do it in a year or two. And, uh, and keeps going down every one of them in the order that Trump had to rearrange. They all have a shorter time frame until he gets to Moderna. Moderna says, we already got it solved. We just have to start manufacturing this. Oh, well, I'm going to go with you then. Okay. And so everybody was pointing out the fact that Moderna had never had a drug or a vaccine that had been approved. And all of the other pharmaceutical companies were staying away from this. Why? Because it was so different. And this guy is saying, this is what we have called for years an NCE, a new chemical entity. It's a whole different class. And that's what he's talking about. He's somebody who's been involved in pharmaceutical R&D. And he said, this is absolutely astounding what we did. He says, it seems to me that the regulatory authorities may have considered this new class of medicine as a vaccine 
but they're not vaccines. In the conventional sense, they are injections of a laboratory-synthesized gene sequence. Now, that's interesting. You know, I don't have a PhD, and I'm not a research uh, pharmacist. uh, uh, I've been calling them genetic code injections for a long time because that's what they are. (laughs) They're injections of a laboratory-synthesized gene sequence. They're GCIs. That's what I call them. He calls them NCEs, New Chemical Entities. I call them GCIs. Anyway. Furthermore, they're being given not as a single dose, but because of their limited efficacy as repeated injections that they're calling boosters. On the hoof, he says, it is decided that extra doses must be given. But how can this possibly be unless it is supported by an appropriate safety study? In other words, how can you start giving, not only did you approve these things and multiple shots, that was also something that was different. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the other issues about having to keep this thing deep frozen and reconstitute it when, uh, you know, they're sending it in a concentrated form, you have to uh, thaw it out, you have to dilute it, and you have to use it within a couple of hours. And I looked at all this stuff and I said, are you kidding me? A lot of people are going to die from this stuff. That was pretty obvious from the very beginning. Anyway, uh, so he says, now you're calling this boosters? You don't have any data for the boosters? They've done none of these tests for the boosters either. He said, uh, how can this possibly be if you don't have appropriate safety studies? How convenient, he said, for the worldwide authorities regulating the approval of new medicines that the CDC modified the definitions of vaccine and vaccination to allow for the new ways in which vaccines can be administered in order to embrace this new technology, which would have previously been classified as an NCE a new chemical entity. So how long, so he says, so how would I design a package of studies to assess the safety of these novel vaccines? Because that's what he typically does. He says, here's a list of preclinical toxicology studies that in my view should have been performed before regulatory authorities gave their approval to the licensing of these novel therapies under the government emergency powers. Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, Acute toxicity, number one. Acute toxicity assessment in rodents, possibly pigs. He said the pig is a good model for assessing human muscle irritancy. So he said, first of all, he would test acute toxicity and he'd do it on animals, which they didn't do. Uh, Number two, I'd have a 14-day repeat dose study and two animal species at three different dose levels of the active ingredient, the spike protein. The objective of these studies would be to achieve a no-effect dose level and to identify those organs in the body that would be adversely affected by a high dose. In other words, establish the potential target organs of toxicity in the clinical settings. Just as we know that for remdesivir, the liver is a target of toxicity for that particular drug. How do they know that? Well, they tested it. <laughs> like this stuff. They tested remdesivir. They know it's not safe. They know it's not effective, and they did it anyway. Uh, this stuff, you know, they knew all that as well, but they pushed it through. But as he's pointing out, um, you want to adjust the dosage, right? You want to play with the dosage. You need to know uh, the scale from where it is um, of no effect to where it becomes toxic. 
What is the difference between something that is good for you and something that is toxic? The dosage. And that applies even if you're talking about water, right? Uh, water is essential. But if you have too much water in too short a period of time, it can kill you. Uh, the, uh, a good example of this, and this has happened a couple of times, one in particular, um, you had a radio station that thought it would be very funny to have a bunch of people in the studio. They would line them up and they would you know, give them questions or something. I forget what the pretense was, but they would have to drink water in large amounts and they would not let them go to the bathroom. And what happened was, uh, as one lady was particularly doing really well in terms of controlling her bladder, uh, she kept drinking water and the excessive amount of water uh, diluted her blood, I believe was a mechanism, but it, it killed her. It killed her in the studio. It's like, whoa, who knew? That's why I used to always say about fluoride. I said, you, you want to say that this is safe and effective? At what dosage then? Please tell me what the dosage is and tell me if there is a dosage and there is a dosage at which it is safe, there is a dosage at which it is not effective and there's a dosage at, if with anything, if it is effective, I'm not going to, but just, just say for the sake of argument that the fluoride was effective for your teeth and you, you should swallow it and have it in your water. Let's just give them that for a moment. Okay. So why are you dumping it in the water supply? Because you don't have any way of knowing if this is an ineffective dosage or if it's a toxic dosage. And then everybody, you know, same faucet, you're going to be having an adult male versus a toddler drinking it. They're going to be getting very different dosages. They didn't do any dosage studies with this. Number three, he said, pharmacology studies and appropriate animal species to establish any possible adverse effects on the normal functioning of body vital organs. Emphasis being paid on the cardiovascular and blood systems. Why? Because he said it's already been clearly established as targets of the COVID-19 virus through the spike protein. So we already know that the COVID virus, he said, targets the blood systems and the cardiovascular system. So wouldn't you focus a study on that to see what the pathological effects are if, in fact, you're going to be putting in the spike protein? The way I have phrased this over and over again is that uh, this is not a vaccine because you're not exposing somebody to a weakened or dead pathogen. Instead, you're exposing them to the full thing, and you're doing it repeatedly with boosters and repetition over and over again. Finally, he said if he was designing the study, number four, he would have pharmacokinetic studies to establish the distribution of the gene sequence to other parts of the body. Biodistribution. This is what they freaked out about when the Japanese did their study, and it was leaked by a Canadian doctor. Oh, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about the fact that the spike protein is going all over the entire body. Oh, no, we don't want to see that. He said, these would have been the minimum studies that I would have carried out prior to any trials in humans. But because we didn't do those studies, because we didn't do those, uh, we have this result. Uh, everyone's in the house is vaccinated. I got my youngest 10-year-old vaccinated. <clears throat> on the 15th of January. Um, two weeks later, on the 31st of January, he was playing in school. He had it. Well, I'll show you. That's his ECG, EKG. Um, he basically died. The, the ambulance was able to resuscitate him. 
Uh, never had heart issues before. None of the family have heart issues. Um, we spent a couple of days in hospital during the week. We still haven't seen cardiologist. Um, we've been told no, it's nothing to do with the vaccine because it only happened once. So, I don't know. I feel proper guilty about all of this, you know. I, um, but the fact that the, the consultant in the hospital denied any link, so it won't be recorded as being associated with the vaccine. That's not good. Anyway, that's it. Yeah, his grief at being deceived. Uh, they won't say there's any connection, and then they won't report it so they can get the next parent. That's where we are. Uh, it's a dad from Ireland. A six-year-old Minnesota boy develops myocarditis and becomes severely injured after receiving a Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, he suffered life-threatening injuries. Um, Milo Edberg was alert and walking in early December before he got the COVID shot, and now he is confined to a hospital bed after being diagnosed with myocarditis, a six-year-old. Now, uh, this is a child who, the reason they say he was walking around fine and you know doing all these different things, he was uh, born as a micropremie at 23 weeks. He has battled chronic lung disease his entire life. Despite his struggles, he learned to walk, and his mother said that he was alert and expressive in early December when a doctor at the Masonic Children's Hospital, well, <laughs> nothing suspicious there, decided that he needed the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, his doctor said he was at special risk of having a severe case if he got sick. And so on December the 10th, he got the Pfizer shot. He immediately started suffering breathing difficulties. He was hospitalized two days later, where he was intubated and diagnosed with myocarditis. You see, it was his heart uh, that it attacked. He remained intubated for a month and a half and is still in the hospital nearly two months later. He cannot set up on his own now. He's unable to even swallow his own saliva. Uh, he was previously walking around and doing fine. His mother said he was perfectly fine, and then he wasn't. She said, it went against my gut, but I said, okay, do it. And this is what she had to say. She said, unfortunately, you cannot go back in time. I support vaccines, but this one has been tough. She said, the doctors haven't been able to clearly explain his affliction. He said, they literally have no answers. They're not looking for answers. They're not looking to challenge any of this. Uh, they want to keep this quiet for their own benefit. Uh, she said they would not uh, file it, just like this Irish father. She said, however, she was able to file her own VAERS report in late January. So you have the people on the left who say, well, the problem with VAERS is that you know anybody can file a report. Well, anybody has to because uh, the uh, the physicians and the medical establishment are violating their requirement to do that. 
they're not doing that because they don't want to talk about anything. They know. They, that's the problem with all of this. These people know, and they're covering it up. Just like the physician that I had a few weeks ago who was uh, an orthopedic surgeon, and he talked to, you know, he had a severe reaction. He can't work anymore. It, it affected him with paralysis and other things. And one of the other physicians that he was talking to, the guy said, look, no, don't talk about that. He says, I'll do what I can to help you, but we're not going to talk about what caused this. They're afraid. See, that's the worst thing about this. They know the truth, and they know the system is so corrupt that the system will come after them if they tell the truth. And so they tell a lie by not filing it. So they wouldn't file it at the Masonic Children's Hospital. So she filed her own VAERS report. And when we file the reports because the medical establishment won't, then these people come back and they say, see, anybody can file a report, and these, these aren't doctors that are putting this stuff in. That's how this works. And then you have Claire McCaskill, Democrat from Missouri, now an MSNBC contributor. She said uh, yesterday on MSNBC, the Republican Party's, quote, failure to accept science as it relates to vaccines, unquote, means that they politically own the COVID deaths of the unvaccinated. Well, let me ask you, Claire, who owns the deaths of the vaccinated people because they didn't do any science? They didn't do any tests. They didn't do any evaluation for safety or for efficacy. Who owns that responsibility? Democrats and Republicans, frankly. Um, she said, we know that even with Omicron, that the deaths and the serious illnesses were really focused on people who have refused to accept the science. Really? Yeah. They've been, they've died from scientific causes. <laughs> CDC has signaled changes to the COVID vaccine schedule in part to address heart inflammation. Well, let me ask you, if this thing was tested, uh, Claire, why is it that they're now changing this? Because we are the test. They never ran the test. We are the test. We are the lab rats. You and your children are the lab rats for this bipartisan kill shot, this genetic code injection. Three doses of an mRNA vaccine within two months and a fourth dose at least five months after the third dose is the current CDC guidance. The revised schedule would recommend that the population get the fourth shot as soon as three months after their third one. Well, let's just continue to escalate this and let's, um, oh, if we're lucky, we can get these up to, you know, more than one a month or at least one a month. Uh, that was the Babylon B uh, parody, you know, Pfizer Plus, where you join the club, you know, and uh, you can like Disney Plus, and it's a monthly subscription. You get all of these things, as many of them as you can. GoFundMe, says Babylon B has now frozen funds for a child's heart surgery after finding out that he supports a trucker protest. <laughs> That's about where we are because it's all political. You can't have heart surgery. You can't have a transplant because you must bow the knee and bear the arm for the genetic code injection or you will be killed by these people. And it's just a matter of time before they unleash the violence if we don't pull this back. The popular fundraising site, GoFundMe, those Babylon B has frozen funds for a local five-year-old's heart surgery after it was discovered the boy was a supporter for the Canadian trucker protest. Um, 
once we determined that little Timmy was providing vocal support to his truck driving dad who will not get vaccinated but wants his job back, we froze the funds right away. It's the right thing to do, said GoFundMe. As long as you fill out the form and promise to forever support approved progressive causes, you can have your money back. We're nice like that. To make things simpler, we will soon be unveiling a drop-down menu that will provide a list of approved communist people and causes to support. But let's talk about, I mentioned theirs, and, and this has been on my uh, desk all day yesterday. I wanted to talk about this. Um, came out at the end of the week, over the weekend, uh, we had um, the reply from the Department of Defense after Senator Johnson, who has done an excellent job of exposing this compared to everybody else. Uh, he has taken a point on this. Uh, this is a story from the New American. Senator Johnson uh, out of Wisconsin demands answers on the skyrocketed disease rate and U.S. troops. On February the 1st, he sent a letter to the Department of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin highlighting the dramatic rise in adverse events reported in the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, DMED, DMED. So we have theirs, which, as I pointed out, is something CDC has run for years, something that the medical community is currently afraid to stick the data in there. And then when uh, we put the data in, they say, oh, well, it's just uh, non-medical people putting it. Yeah, because they're scared to death. But then there's also a Defense Department database where they do their own tracking. And the problem is we've had some whistleblowers who have uh, come out um, and um, uh, went to a human rights attorney, Leigh Dundas. Uh, she was approached by Dr. Samuel Sigaloff. Special Forces Flight Surgeon Lieutenant Colonel Peter Chambers, and Aerospace Occupational Medicine Specialist Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long. I've talked about her before. These other two people are new. But they, these three people who are doctors in the military went to a human rights attorney. Uh, they are whistleblowers represented by uh, Tom Rents, uh, a lawyer. They gave him the data, quote, under penalty of perjury. And as they gave him the data, he then passed it on to Senator Johnson, who was holding the hearings. Now, let me read to you what they saw. Uh, what they did was they compared what happened in 2021 as these kill shots rolled out, these genetic code injections rolled out. They compared uh, a whole wide variety of medical conditions. They compared that to a five-year average from 2016 through 2020. Now, that includes, you know, the so-called pandemic of 2020. Five-year period, 2016 to 2020, and they compared 2021 with the vaccines. Here's what they found. Hypertension, a 2,181% increase. Something clogging up your arteries? Something like, oh, I don't know, microclots caused by spike proteins? Something like that. Uh, they found diseases of the nervous system a 1,048% increase. Malignant neoplasms of the esophagus, 894% increase. In other words, nine times higher. Uh, order of mag These things are more than an order of magnitude higher, more than 10 times higher. I mean, hypertension, that's 21 times higher. Multiple sclerosis, a 680% increase. All of this happening in the year Operation Warp Speed rolled out compared to the previous five years. 
Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, 551% increase. Breast cancer, 487% increase. Female infertility, 472% increase. Pulmonary embolism, 468% increase. Testicular cancer, 369% increase. Tachycardia, a 302% increase. And that means, you know, varying speed of your heart rate. Now, those numbers don't seem like minor fluctuations, and they should have caught the attention of the top brass. After all, they've been stressing the importance of troops' health as a, as a function of military readiness for all of last year when they forced every single man and woman in uniform to take a quote-unquote life-saving COVID-19 shot. And yet, as this came out, and it was bombshell information, here is the way the military replied to this. They responded... Well, don't believe our database. The same alibi that the CDC uses. Don't believe our database. Well, we don't believe your database. We believe that your database is severely underreported. Uh, we believe that HHS, which, you know, all this is done under HHS umbrella. Uh, they hired Harvard to do a study, and they believe that only about 1% of the cases were being reported. So that would mean that you would inflate everything by 100 times. So instead of... Oh, I don't know, 30,000 or so deaths reported from the vaccine. You would have 100 times that, right? You'd have more than 3 million. Uh, but um, then you had Columbia University more recently. That was in 2010. More recently, Columbia University did it, and they said that they thought that it was underreported by a factor of 20. I had Steve Kershaw a week or so ago. He and some other people have done their analysis. They believe that's around... Uh, underreported by a factor of 40, somewhere like that. So we're looking at anywhere, results anywhere from uh, the, the VAERS being um, 20 to 40 to 100 times higher than it actually is reported. Now, with the DMED, uh, this is something that's being done by the military doctors all the time. And now they're going back and saying, well, you can't trust those five years that you used as a base to compare 2021 to. Um, they said um, uh, the data was incorrect for those four years. And so Tom Rince, a lawyer, responded. He said the DOD has claimed that the DMED data from 2016 to 2020 was incorrect. This is absurd. We spend millions of dollars per year on DMED and people monitoring DMED, which is one of the premier epidemiological databases in the world. Accuracy in this database is critical as it is used to monitor for health issues in our troops. So they need, it's a military readiness issue, right? They need to know. Have the troops, by the way, in some particular area, have they been exposed to some, exposed to some pathogen? You know, you're going to have the DMED database there. It's going to give them early warning from some kind of a biological attack. So this is something that is uh, of military importance. And so the position of the Department of Defense is uh, he says the DOD would have us believe that the DMED database was wrong for all the years, 2016 to 2020, but then magically was corrected in 2021, despite the fact that nobody had noticed that it was wrong for those five years. <laughs> it's like Maxwell Smart. Oh, you don't believe that? Well, uh, would you believe? And he comes up with the next one, right? Uh, they, they would say that nobody had noticed this until we pointed it out in our testimony before Senator Johnson. Furthermore, we are asked to believe that in 2020, 
the year that they claim to be the greatest pandemic since 1918. And despite the fact that it is documented that the CDC was also watching this database, so it's not just the military, but the CDC was watching DMED, no one noticed an error of 20 million plus injury disease codes per year, he said. We're supposed to believe that? The Department of Defense, the Biden administration, is on notice that they must preserve these records and that this must be investigated, said Senator Johnson in the five-hour hearing in Washington. He said, Rents also informed me that some DMED data showing registered diagnoses of myocarditis has been removed from the database. Following the allegation that DMED data had been doctored, I immediately wrote to you on January the 24th requesting that you preserve all records. So um, they went on to say, these doctors who uh, uh, exposed this and the human rights attorney, specifically the human rights attorney Dundas, said breast cancer was pretty form- formulaic. It used to range from between 500 to 900 cases for the five years prior to the introduction of the mandatory vaccine. But for the first 10 months of 2021, there were 4,068 cases. It typically been between 500 and 900 a year. And it went up to over 4,000, nearly 4,100. Esophageal cancer in the U.S. military, very, very minimal. 25, 26 cases maybe. Uh, in a bad year, 39 cases. That jumped to 200-plus cases. Bell's palsy, typically 400 cases a year on average the first 10 months. That jumped up to over 1,300 cases. Miscarriages in the military were 1,400 to 1,500 a year in the first three quarters of 2020, but it increased to over 4,000 during the first 10 months of 2021. Dr. Christiane Northrup, a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist with more than 30 years of experience, said, here's what we were finding. Starting in April of 2021, we were hearing stories from all over the country about women who were having abnormal bleeding, miscarriages, stillbirth, just from being around people who had had the shot. They hadn't even had the shot. Just from being around people who had it. Uh, so she said, we got together several of us doctors talking about uh, Dr. Lee Merritt, who have energy, uh, interviewed uh, Sherry Tenpenny as well. He said, people that I knew in the fertility business, she said, we were all finding that these women were having problems. I was getting a lot of personal calls. So what did I do? We were very concerned. Uh, one of the whistleblowers, Dr. Pete Constantine Chambers, has been a practicing, has been practicing medicine for 25 years, 16 of those have been as a flight surgeon attached to special operations. He said, here's the question that troubles me. After having my orders cut short, leaving me no medical insurance coverage, losing my pay and leave that I had accumulated without any forewarning for exhibiting the Army valor value of personal courage and practicing the safe standard of care medicine by an entity that I have served for so long, he said, number one, What will happen to my enlisted troops? Number two, how many, how many soldiers and airmen will experience adverse reactions, some of which result in disability or, God forbid, death? One might call a provider such as myself an anti-vaxxer, but nothing is further from the truth. I took the full course starting in January. I trusted my government and medical leaders. I have taken every vaccine the Army has given me, since my first day as a private in 1983. However, I too have now experienced adverse reactions 
and am currently in the care of medical specialists exploring the signs and symptoms post-second vaccine, as well as ominous findings on my brain MRI. I love my country, my state, and the heroes I work with and for. I believe all Americans are worth the sacrifices we make to keep us safe. I also believe, as a provider in the first stanza of the Hippocratic Oath, first of all, do no harm. This guy is not being fired because he refused to take the vaccine. He is being dismissed uh, because he is no longer physically capable or because he is telling people about uh, the issue. This is the state of our criminal government. That's absolutely amazing. Well, that's it for the show today. Thank you, folks, for watching us. I just want to remind you, if you want to uh, watch the show on uh, Twitter or on Rockfin, it's where we carry it live, as well as the podcast. Uh, please share that. It's very important for us uh, if you help us with that because that's something that I'm not very good at. We don't have enough personnel really to uh, do the social media. We've had some people who have done that. Uh, one individual is uh, putting videos up on uh, TikTok, one listener. I really do appreciate that. So please spread it around. Let's get this information out there. That is vital to stop this. That's why they're trying to censor this information. That's how they control you. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com.